Hey everyone, this is Elise from the MJ cast, welcoming you to episode 113, our season five Christmas special. Today I'm joining Jamin and Q. It's been a while and I'm really happy to be here to talk about a bunch of news in the world of Michael Jackson and the Jackson family. We're also going to talk about this whole year in review. A lot has happened in 2019. We're going to revisit some of our special episodes and we're going to have a wonderful chat with Q about his time as a co-host of the MJ cast and his next steps moving forward. We also have some fun bloopers to visit, some finds of the week, and lots of great chat. So welcome to episode 113. The following is a presentation from the MJ cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. I love you! <laughs> I love my fans. Just simply Michael Jackson. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Howdy, Elise. Welcome. That was a terrific introduction. I'm a little rusty. It's been a while, but I'm super happy to be back with you guys and be recording an episode. I have not been on an episode since, I think, July. It's been such a crazy (laughs) year for all of us, so I'm really glad to be back. Yay. Yeah, Elise, it's been a while since you've been on, huh? Yeah, it's been since July, um, and uh, you know, partly just because it's been such a wild year with the whole shakeup with Leaving Neverland, but I've also had a lot going on. I really became our kind of on-the-ground correspondent in Los Angeles, especially this past fall, where, as you guys know, I got to attend the Square One premiere with Danny Wu, and everybody was there, and then also got to go see a rather bizarre play called Never Everland. I do want to let any of our listeners know who are not aware of this that I am doing these kind of op-ed slash essay reports on a lot of these events I'm attending that are important to the Michael Jackson community. And if you haven't checked them out, go to our website. They're right there under our op-ed section, and you can hear all about some of these big Michael Jackson events that have been going on in California. Right there at themjcast.com. And Elise, you've been doing a phenomenal job of, of writing up your experiences uh, uh, when you go to those things. So thank you very much for all your hard work there. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun and I've enjoyed it. And a huge shout out to to everybody I've seen at these events, even though these events were not necessarily related to the most positive things we've wanted to see happening in the community. It's still been really wonderful to see everybody there and make new friends and really connect with our Michael Jackson fan community. So thank you guys all so much. Absolutely. Merry Christmas to you both. It's great. We're all back together as a team. Woohoo! Merry yes. Christmas. Oh. <laughs> like the old days. <laughs> I haven't seen your Christmas tree yet, Elise. Oh, I don't have a Christmas tree. Why? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Does Cody pull it down? 
you guys have amazing Christmas trees and you guys, I did nothing this year. It's just been that kind of year, but I have a little Christmas tree in my heart and I'm playing, you know, <laughs> five Christmas music, what a so. I've got a Christmas tree in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You've still got a couple of days to get something up. Come on. I do. I have a little fake Christmas tree I sometimes put on my coffee table. So maybe I'll do that when we're done recording. We'll see. Yeah. They count. They count. I've got five of those little little table trees through the house. <laughs> oh, man. Plus the giant one. <laughs> it's amazing. I know you guys are going to have a toasty Christmas, but I hope it's oh. a really fun one. <laughs> it is hot. Yeah, 38 in Perth. Uh, it's about 100 in Fahrenheit. So it's not super unusual, but yeah, it's been actually hotter, way hotter uh, some days. And Jamie and I anticipate you'll be about pretty hot as well over there, probably even close to the same. Oh, I'm pretty hot, all right. <laughs> right. At, anyway, <laughs> last week was crazy because we had Australia's hottest day ever on record, on average across the country. Earlier in the week, I think it was Tuesday, and then later in the week, the record was broken again. Yeah, in one week. Yeah, and oh. this is the first month of summer, and December's usually not the hottest month in summer. That's usually still to come, so it's actually a big worry. There were like a lot of wildlife just dropping dead in places where it was record temperatures because they just couldn't live in the, in those extremes. It was really sad. Well, it certainly does not help with all these fires. And so sounds like a great idea for our prime minister to go on holiday in Hawaii, you know, instead of being home and leading the country and helping and coordinating and asking for help from industry and leaders and experts in their field. He'll just, you know, take his family to Hawaii on holiday instead. Because that's what a good leader would do. For the third time this year. Oh, yeah, that's right. For his third holiday in the same year. So, you know, why not? We'll have to hope for a better 2020 in so many respects, I think. Yes. 2019 has been not a, a great fight. time. Yes, it really has. It really has. <laughs> but we can get into all just how much of a shit fire it has been. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's been lots of good things as well, which we're going to touch on in this coming episode. All our great memories that we're going to talk about. So thank you listeners so much for joining us. Our longtime listeners will know that this tends to be a big monster episode because we really do go back and feature some of our favorite moments from specials this year. And it should be a lot of fun. So I hope you guys get to enjoy it as listeners. And we just really thank you for joining us. Alrighty, so starting off the news today, we've had some reports that a Michael Jackson biopic film is reportedly in the works and from Bohemian Rhapsody movie producer Graham King. Now, apparently they've already got writers lined up as well. So John Logan is apparently writing this MJ biopic and he wrote the film Gladiator and The Aviator, which were both critically acclaimed, and I have to say I enjoyed both of those films. And Variety magazine states that the film will not be sanitised, but in my opinion, Bohemian Rhapsody was quite sanitised, I think, especially in comparison to Rocketman, the Elton John biopic that followed later this year. 
So we'll see about that. So, yeah, this is interesting and I have to say not really unexpected development. And uh, I guess we will see how it goes. Jamin, what do you think about this news article? Well, like I've sort of said before on the show, I have to separate it out of my mind because I, on the one hand, definitely recognize the benefits a good biopic can have for an artist's legacy. Specifically with Bohemian Rhapsody, it really reignited a passion and love for Queen's music amongst a whole new generation. Like, And, and I can say that unequivocally because at school I interact with teenagers every day, all day, and lots of them were singing Queen songs after Bohemian Rhapsody came out. Just all the time. Like, it, it really had a big impact. It, the, the film did well. My wife loved it. I, I enjoyed it. It put the music front and center. And if they can somehow pull that off for Michael Jackson, I think that it will perhaps be something very appropriate and healing following Leaving Neverland. However, I also recognize that doing a biopic well is really hard because they can come off as quite cheesy if they're not done well. If they don't have good writing staff, if they don't have good actors, good direction, like they can come off really, really bad. In general, I'm just not a big biopic guy. I like the real thing. I like documentaries. I'm an MJ fan. I want to see actual MJ. So I probably personally won't enjoy it and I may not even see it, but... I do recognize the potential it has to really help Michael's legacy in this climate. So I hope they do well. I echo what Jamin has said. I think, you know, inevitably this film is going to make fans upset because it will end up touching on things and probably presenting them in a way that we don't feel is correct or fair. I think that's the reality even if it's well done. When Bohemian Rhapsody came out, I mean, like you said, Jamin, every person changed their Twitter icon to, you know, a queen image. I mean, it was pretty amazing what it did for them. So, you know, there's a plus and a minus there. I don't see how it could possibly satisfy the fan community in any way whatsoever. But we'll see how it turns out. I don't know. I think we will already know that it won't be historically accurate. It'll be a story that they'll change the timeline of things. They'll change some facts. Yeah, I just think it won't be super accurate. Fans will be offended by how they portray Michael, I think. We should expect that. But I think for the general public, they will like it. And if they ultimately tell a good story that gives Michael respect that he deserves and also doesn't allude to anything inaccurate in the essence of accusations and stuff, then... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I was going to ask you both, it was a really spur of the moment sort of question, who would you want playing Michael? Oh, man, that's tough. I The thing is you couldn't have one person playing him because if you're really going to do a Michael Jackson biopic, you've got to cover the Jackson 5 because Michael and his brothers changed the world for black musicians in the 70s. 
you could argue that that's Michael's probably one of his greatest legacies is more what he did as a kid in opening the doors for black artists everywhere to have worldwide success. Obviously, you can't have an adult play like a 12-year-old boy, so you need they would need multiple actors to play Michael. I don't know who they... I genuinely don't know. I think there's amazing, great black actors out there that would do a really good job. Um, I would not want to see a white person play Michael Jackson like they've tried to do in other things in the past. I would, I would definitely want a, an African-American actor... I just I don't know how who who they would get and I and physically and I also don't know how they could phys, Michael Jackson even just in his facial structure in his later life looked so completely unique and unlike anybody else I don't know how they could convincingly pull it off without it looking comical CG I think like what you're saying about if they needed different actors maybe they could use the same actor but use CG to de-age them to a child. Like you have like a, obviously a child in stature play the part, but then put the face of the adult actor on the child as a de-aged person to play young Michael. Yeah, that's... um. Yeah, look, I, I'm sure with all the different technologies coming out these days, they could, they could do that, but I'm just concerned that that may not be convincing or it could just be creepy to look at and just weird. Oh, it'll be creepy as hell. <laughs> yeah, they just, I, I don't know. And I just also, yeah, I don't know how they're going to be able to fit his whole life into a movie either. Like, Oh, they you won't. Can't, you can't. Like, it's Michael had three different co- careers in one. I, I don't understand how they could. With Freddie Mercury, his career sort of started when he was a young adult, so they could kind of fit it all in, and he died young as well, so they could sort of fit it into a couple of hours. With Michael, he lived 50 years of, of just incredible story. I, I don't know how they could do it, but anyway. At least who do you think should play Michael? I, I really have no idea. Like, I just I, I don't think there's an answer to it. I don't think anyone can play him. I don't really think anyone should play him. So, no, I don't have any pick. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Q, do you have someone in mind? There's a guy that I remember from, what's that TV show, uh, How How to Get Away with Murder, I think it was, with Annalise, the university professor lawyer, and anyway, big. it was I've a good show. Oh, you'd love it. You would love it, I think. There was an actor in that called Rome Flynn. He's on Instagram as at R-O-M-C-F-L-Y-N-N at Rome C. Flynn. Apparently he's got a single out as well. I haven't heard that, so maybe he can sing as well. I think he could, he would do it maybe a D. He's a good actor. And I think he could do a good job and they could like just age and de-age him and with makeup and stuff. He might have to lose a bit of his muscle weight he's a bit muscly and bulked up but yeah i think as a sort of serious sort of actor portrayal he could do it and then there was someone else and i think you'll know this show jamin the it crowd oh yeah i've seen that yeah i think richard ao80 i don't know how he's say his last name he could maybe also play but i don't know how much of a serious actor he is because he's quite a comedian yeah but i think he could maybe pull it off 
but would depend on sort of if you could do serious stuff. They'd be my top two picks as actors. Yeah, they both have, um, you know, like a Michael esque sort of look about them. This guy Richard, he's got the got the chin dimple yeah. thing going on. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. and <laughs> I think you know, I think you need to expect they're not going to look exactly the same. So, just get good actor, a handsome actor, and then just use makeup and do an approximation, but just go in knowing that it's not going to look exactly like Michael and hope for the best. Yep. Well, we'll see how this one pans out. It's uh, definitely going to divide people, there's no doubt. But I think a healthy way to go into it as a fan is just knowing it's inevitable and we hope for the best and we hope that it's got a positive reception with the uh the community or not the community sorry but but the world at large so that they can enjoy michael's actual art and music beyond the film that's the effect the freddie mercury one had on me i saw the movie once and then i was on you know youtube and different places watching actual queen performances and enjoyed those so much more than the film but uh hopefully that that's what this film would do as well it'd inspire people to go and get michael's music and watch his performances the one part of Bohemian Rhapsody that I really enjoyed it was that recreation of the Live Aid concert and putting you in that moment. I thought that was kind of amazing. And if if the movie could pull off similar performance moments in Michael Jackson's life and really do it justice and make you feel like you're there and make you feel the passion of it, that would buy a lot of respect <laughs> from me for the movie. <laughs> if it could even just even get one scene like that, right? If you had to choose one performance that they did that with to make a central point of the film, what would it be? This is probably super stereotypical. And this is not a particular performance, but I'm just thinking like if they could do a performance of like Man in the Mirror, I think a song that would really touch people very, very deeply. To me, like a song like that, you know, so many people can connect with it and it does so much to kind of bring everything back to what Michael was about. Uh, I think that will be really powerful. But if you have a particular performance in mind, go for it. I think 30th anniversary, not because it's a good performance, but because the, the thing that worked about the Live Aid performance in Queen, even though chronologically it didn't happen towards the end of Freddie's career, they sort of made it look like it did in the movie. But for Michael the 30th anniversary concert was probably the last major performance he did. And it was with his brothers again after so many years of not performing with them. So I think if they were to do a similar thing to Bohemian Rhapsody and have sort of Michael preparing backstage for this thing and, you know, a reunification with his brothers after going through 10 years of hell, I reckon that could kind of work. And have him as high as a kite. (laughs) <laughs> well, they you know they would have to sanitize that, wouldn't they? Like they can't have him in the hotel room before the show injecting opioids and then like rocking up on the red carpet with his fly under. They can't show the real Michael that we know is the truth because it just wouldn't like. And that's the conflicting part for me because we know the struggles Michael had and how deep they ran. But if they showed that on screen, it just it it wouldn't do him favors. <laughs> I like your idea of the Man in the Mirror performance, Elise, actually. I hadn't thought of that. I think the first thing that came to mind would be Motown 25. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But when you said about the 
Amanda Namira performance and the reasons why I was like, actually, yeah, that would be the best case scenario. Yeah, everyone would be crying in the theatre, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because then also people would remember, oh, okay, well, he did actually inspire everyone around the world in yeah. a good way. So, but I don't know. I don't hold much hope that that's the angle they're going to go for. And the reality is this film is probably a really long ways off. I believe Bohemian Rhapsody took a very long time to pull together. So, you know, we're not going to see this for many years to come, most likely. Okay, so moving on to our next news item. This is a bit of a weird one. Uh, As listeners probably will have seen over on social media, there is a stage musical coming out, in fact, next month in January, called For the Love of the Glove. I have to say, when I first saw this reported and went to the website, I really thought it was a joke. It was very strange. And also initially it was saying that Johnny Depp was producing it. That has been disproven, I guess, and corrected since the news first came out. But his name was actually on the production's website initially. So a little bit of information about this stage production, which is happening in in Los Angeles, is that it is, well, first of all, it uses no music from Michael Jackson or the Jackson 5. It is an original score using original music, which presents a comic retelling of Michael Jackson's life as a way to address the incendiary trifecta of race, religion, and sexuality that were always controversial undercurrents in Michael's story. I'm quoting this from the website, everybody. The show hits on these topics that are just as much a part of our national conversation today as they were in Michael's own heyday. So that is how they're presenting this. Then it it goes even further to into this kind of strange context. The website says, deeply researched for the love of the glove puts at its center the Amadeus-Salieri relationship that existed between Michael and Nani Osmond, suggesting this as the key to understanding much of Michael's life. Before cultural appropriation became a contemporary buzzword, the Osmonds were appropriating the Jackson 5's look and sound in a way that caused controversy in the Black community but was ignored in the white world. But the love of the glove delves into this strange history while also surveying the damage that the Jehovah's Witnesses, Michael's own religion, caused in his life. Controversial, daring, but always funny, for the love of the glove is not like any musical you've ever seen before. Again, all of that comes from the website. If you actually go to the website, this seems to be a puppet-based production with a glove... <laughs> a sparkly glove with eyeballs and a, and a mouth as the main character who apparently sort of leads a fictionalized Michael Jackson through his life journey. Wasn't the glove like an alien or sent from aliens or something? There's an alien, although I'm not clear if the alien oh is God. a glove or another character. <laughs> so oh yeah, anyway, there's a lot going on here. The, the bottom line is when I first read the website, I read it really seriously and I thought, you know, because I've been doing so much stuff this fall, going to LA and really kind of reporting on these things that are happening, which even if it's a ba- like that never ever land, you know, even though that I had a lot of problems with that play, I'm glad I went to go see it. And I'm glad I was able to report on it because I think it's nice to really, you know, be able to, you know, share that information with, with the fan community. And so in this case, at first I thought, oh, even though this sounds completely weird, maybe I should go see it just to really see what the heck this even is but on the website it gets 
weirder and weirder. And at moments, it seems like a joke. Like if you go to the page, I think it's the gallery tab that has a photo of the glove, supposedly, that says it's this incredible, amazing puppet. And it looks like something a five-year-old put together. Um, So I can't decide if, I cannot decide if the whole thing is supposed to be sort of an experimental, bizarre joke or not. I just can't figure it out. I can't determine either whether it's meant to be serious or not. Like the one thing that's kind of sticking out to me here is when I was talking about this relationship between Michael and Donny Osmond being the key to understanding Michael's life, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the damage they caused Michael. I've read Moonwalk by Michael Jackson, his autobiography. I've read a lot of into. I've listened to a lot of interviews with family members. They, I've never heard of these two things being central to understanding Michael Jackson ever. So I don't understand who whoever's writing this. Where did they pull that out of? Because I've not read that before in in any words from Michael or his family. So. Hmm. Well, and that's where I'm coming from, too, in terms of thinking, is this just supposed to be this complete, bizarre, almost gonzo theater production where they're just trying to mess with the audience from the very beginning on the website? I I just don't know what to make of it. It's like a crazy fever dream. (laughs) It is. I feel like someone has put LSD in my orange juice. Yes. Yeah. That's what it's like. It's... Yeah, I don't think this will be something so serious and impactful that it's going to make global waves. But it's like some crazy fever dream, local theatre production, experimental festival kind of gig. So there's an article on, I think, broadway.com about it that has the cast listing. And there's a bunch of big name people associated with it, supposedly. Oh, on the other hand, they were lying about Johnny Depp. So. Yeah, how did, that, how did that come about? That was a whole, whole bizarre. And that's what got it headlines. So we even knew about it was this Johnny Depp connection, which then a statement from his camp said there was no involvement. So how did that even come about? And then get shot down it's just the whole thing is just bizarre yeah i mean i think the bottom line is if any la fans do end up seeing it i personally at this point would not definitely not go and spend any money on this or support it or acknowledge it in any way besides this discussion but if anyone does happen to see it let us know your take on it i would be very curious to hear so moving on from the cray cray another musical related to Michael Jackson. This one is Monday the Musical. Now we've been talking about this a lot on the show over the last several months. It was originally, I think, going to premiere in uh, Chicago, or that production actually was put on hold. It is opening in New York this summer. The news at this point is that they have cast their lead role for Michael Jackson. And I may not be pronouncing this correctly, but I believe it is pronounced Ephraim Sykes. And I will say at first, it seemed like maybe a good move. He seemed like a good guy. He seemed really excited about the role. He seemed to genuinely be a fan. But just today, or I believe yesterday, actually, a Rolling Stone interview has come out with him about the musical. And it unfortunately is really problematic. So 
basically in this interview, of course, it's inevitable they're going to ask, how do you feel about being involved in a controversial production or a controversial person's life story? And he ends up going on a really unfortunate ramble about how in America we consider all these historical figures heroic. We look at the presidents, even though they had slaves, we still consider them heroes. And it's this very strange thing about slavery and forgiving, you know, terrible sins. And basically, you know, in some just makes him look really, really bad in terms of how he's potentially going to present Michael Jackson in this lead role and his own feelings about whether Michael Jackson did anything he was accused of. So this has really given me a lot of pause about this musical. Not that I supported it anyway. It's been problematic from the beginning, but this to me is just one more reason that I am not going to support it. It was a strange interview. Like I was like, is he misspeaking? Does he not understand that what he's saying is like a double-edged sword and can be taken out of context. Like, I don't know, in some way, I think what he was trying to say, he had good intentions and the words and examples he chose were very poor. That sort of undid any good intentions that he had. I don't know. It came across sort of like another person that will be doing an official project that doesn't have the same opinion on Michael as we do as fans. And that's not the first time that, you know, there's even dancers, at least one that I know of in This Is It, that thought Michael was guilty of the allegations and still does to this day. There's dancers from This Is It that are friends with Wade Robson. So there's always been problematic people that they've had working in different projects, even when Michael was alive. This whole play is just, I don't know, there's just something a little bit off kilter about it with the writer and what she has said in the past and what angle are they actually going to go for with this? Even the whole, let's set it, it, it was at the end of the Dangerous Tour, like there was a shot they put out recently and it had like a wooden crate with Dangerous World Tour sort of stamped across it. And I'm guessing this actor, you just see his legs in front of it with black pants, white socks and loafers. And that's like, I don't know, it just seems, this whole Broadway production, it just seems bizarre. And maybe if it doesn't do well, it'll close early. That won't get good headlines, I guess. But there's actually been a lot of really big Broadway shows recently that have closed not too long into their run, maybe only like a year into their Broadway run. So, I don't know, it'll be very interesting how this plays out. Could go definitely either way. Well, and I think, Q, on on your point, if it closes early, I mean, ultimately Michael Jackson's legacy gets hurt either way, right? If it closes early, everyone's going to blame it on, you know, the fact that oh, Michael Jackson must have been guilty and nobody's even going to go support him. On the other hand, if it's this really problematic show and is incredibly successful, you know, that's that's a whole different thing where the fans are going to be really unhappy, but it's going to make more money for the estate. I, I don't know. I don't think there's a, 
a positive here. Maybe by some miracle, all of our doubts are unfounded and it will be an interesting, complex exploration, but that seems really doubtful to me. I don't know. In some ways, they pulled off the Cirque du Soleil shows. That's true. So I keep holding on to that little glimmer, like, okay, well, they got the Cirque shows pretty decent. Like, And I'm not saying they're perfect at all. There's definitely flaws and, and things with the uh, Vegas show in particular and the hologram thing. But, again, I think we need to remember – the same with this biopic movie as with this Broadway show. These are not for us. We are not the target audience for these products. These products are for the general public. And that is a very different audience to the MJ fam. And I think that's probably where a lot of our frustration comes from on this show is that the general public do get their MJ products. And it's sort of like, where's ours? Where's our HD remasters? Where's our, you know, where the core base? Where the people that have been here through thick and thin? We we just want we you know the products we want as well. Mm. Good point. Yeah, good point. I think if they would they would just they would just give us like you said some of those like HD concerts, we'd be so much happier. <laughs> I know. I'm just like problem. I'm a fan of Michael Jackson and I want Michael Jackson authentic material. I, I don't understand why they're not delivering on that front. They seem to be trying to constantly promote Michael to the wider world. But even then, I think it, it's it's Michael that's the showstopper that, that people want to see. It's not, I don't know. We've been down this road. <laughs> Okay, well, let's move on to a news item. This will be a quick one that is related, I think, to the true fan community. Um, and this is a quick update on the French MJ fan lawsuit. Uh, Q, do you want to speak to this one briefly? The French MJ fan lawsuit against the Leaving Neverland documentary has been postponed due to strikes in France. That's, That's the it. story. That's the tweet, <laughs> as the kids are saying. That's the tweet. But, you know, I still thought we should share it on here because yeah. it is really important that the French fans are doing this. And I think it's I was actually really thinking about this the other day. I was like, I wonder what the latest is on that. I was like last week I was thinking about it. So I'm glad that you've uh, included this update. So thank you very much. <laughs> so hopefully after the strikes are done, it will keep going again. And we – thank all the French fans a lot for doing this. The French fans and the British fans, oh my gosh, you guys have been amazing. So thank you. Okay, so we'll now move on to our next news item uh, featuring the game. Jamin, you want to take the lead here? Sure. So the game is a rapper and he has recently done an interview where he recalls a time when the king of pop, Michael Jackson, gave him a phone call to try and get him working with 50 Cent, uh, which is interesting because those two had a very famous sort of beef in the day where they wouldn't talk to each other and they hated each other and all this kind of thing. And uh, apparently Michael was a fan of them both. And he, he called them them both and said, I want you to be on a song like that I could put on my album or whatever. And he tried to get them back together in the studio to solve their problems and work together again. And uh, I definitely believe this because 
the thing is, the game is a big Michael Jackson fan, like like us, like a genuine fan, and he actually put out a, a great tribute song in the day called Better on the Other Side, which we've played in the show before. So uh, the guy has good intentions, for sure, around Michael. I believe the story, and I think it's really interesting that Michael wanted to get these two guys working together again. Uh, we know that Michael reached out to 50 Cent as well in the day. I think he met with 50 Cent and his uh, DJ in Bahrain or somewhere like that. And uh, it looked like at one point that there was definitely going to be something happening. And, and I don't think it ever did. But interesting story. I agree. I think it is interesting. We will have that link on the show notes. I don't have too much to add on this one. I also think it's some interesting history. Puts things in perspective a little bit. Certainly also just in context of how we feel about 50 Cent right now. But, um, <laughs> but interesting history for sure. And uh, we have one last news item, which Jamin will tell us about. Yeah, sure. So there was a, a documentary that came out last year in 2018 called Last Days of Michael Jackson. We covered it originally in, uh, I think it would have been season four of the MJ cast. So you can go back and listen to what our thoughts were on the last days of Michael Jackson in that. But the documentary came out last year and uh, I didn't really realize this at the time, but it turns out that the estate was suing the producers of this documentary for allegedly using Michael Jackson's likeness and, and video footage of Michael and all that kind of thing in the documentary. Turns out the estate have settled, turns out the production company have settled with the estate and uh, there's been a, an exchange of, I guess, uh, damages or money and I don't know how much. But on the one hand, I guess it's, it's good to know that the estate are out there sort of uh, wanting to litigate whether the uh, production company that did The Last Days of Michael Jackson deserved to be litigated against is another thing, but it is good to know that the, the estate aren't necessarily always toothless tigers like they are in some other areas. Yeah, this is uh, an interesting outcome, and what's interesting to me about it in the end is is actually the production company, it was revealed, was Disney, um, <laughs> which totally... Well, no, I think Disney's the owner of the network. yeah. But yeah, even so, like it, for, I, it, it surprises me that Disney were was supportive of the network putting something out like this. I I didn't actually realize Disney owned subsidiaries they own that, uh, that put out such sort of dark material. They <laughs> so. they own TV networks. They own technology companies, research facilities, book publishers. Yeah, they own stuff you would have no idea about. It's not like they were involved in the production. They just owned the network. Yeah, yeah, got it. <laughs> no. Nah. I want to okay. get some good stuff in this show. <laughs> All right, there we go. That's it. That's the news. There is one more, but I'm going to keep it for my find of the week. So there's there's a new Michael Jackson video sort of thing coming out. That is the news for 2019. You get no more until 2020. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But there is some really interesting stuff coming out. So, you know, we'll see what the next year brings us. More developments and projects we don't want. Um, probably no real projects that we do want. We'll see how that goes. Good luck to us all. Good luck. Well, I think it's time in the show for our first correspondent update. I would just like to let listeners know, because the MJ cast is changing in format next year, uh, this will actually be the last episode that we feature correspondent updates. And uh, I know that's going to be quite sad to some of you, as you've got to know our correspondents. 
Uh, and we'll, we'll talk later in the show about why this is. I would like to say a very special thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of our correspondents, including Stephen of MJFFC, Yannicka of Jackson Source, Charlie Thompson, and also the wonderful Janet ladies, Courtney and Cam. And uh, we're going to get the latest from MJFFC, which definitely has some news to share about themselves as a uh, charity group. And uh, I think you'll be quite interested in this. And I want to send my regards and personal thank you to Stephen from Michael Jackson Fans for Change is an update uh, for all that he has done as a correspondent and for the legacy of Michael and for the community. So take it away, Stephen. Hi everyone, my name is Stephen from mjffc.org and here follows a long overdue MJ-inspired charity update. Michael Jackson's legacy have just completed their 100 shoe drive for Malawi, so they are now in between projects and are seeking new shoes agents for the next drive. If you would like some more information, please reach out to them at michaeljacksonslegacy.org. Michael's Dream Foundation has been very busy this past year. After several deliveries to a children's home in Ranchi, India, funds were also sent to help sponsor the children to attend school. Food items and blankets and useful sports toys were purchased to help the home better prepare for the year. This past summer donations of water bottles, bags, sunglasses and dry erase boards with markers were picked up by local volunteers to hand out at the summer camps for children in the North Georgia summer camp regions. This is all thanks to their sponsor, 4imprint, that sends product donations each year. Campaigns to fund a delivery to Romania Bucharest started and funds were handed over to the home for the needs of the children. Currently Michael's Dream Foundation is asking for donations for the campaign Bundles of Love. These children are often displaced and end up in emergency foster care. Each year there is a plea for assistance because not only is it a crisis for these children, that very often have to leave their environment for nothing but what they are wearing, but it's also the giving season. Michael's Dream Foundation always finds a way to help bring some magic back into their lives. So far they have raised enough to purchase 31 awesome toys. Michael's Dream Foundation is devoted to the legacy of Michael Jackson and will continue to help and give to the children as long as they have the love and support. Tokyo is their next project slated for spring of 2020. Please support them if you can at michaelsdreamfoundation.org. The Heal the World Miracle Community Organisation will have some wonderful news about the second motorboat to guarantee the safe transport for the children of Wama Primary School coming soon. This boat project came about in a unique way and so is the boat itself, of which will be seen soon. Due to necessary approvals from Ugandan authorities, it took much longer than they had intended for it, but that stage is behind them now. For the Nika Foundation, which is connected to Heal the World Miracle Organisation, to be able to reach out to more children with future projects, they will not only focus on one school, but also more on the Lake Bunyonyi community at large, like they already did with their recently constructed Swimming Instruction Centre. You can find out more information about this organisation at hwmco.org. And now for other MJ charity related news. In August 2019, Romain Bain, Michael's ex-spokesperson and general manager, called a press conference and streamed it live, which is now up on full on various channels on YouTube. She announced plans to launch an MJ Legacy Foundation, not to be confused with the UK registered charity Michael Jackson's Legacy, to preserve, protect and defend his name while supporting the numerous organisations he supported during his life. Shortly after the press conference, the Michael Jackson estate released a statement which included, Ramon Bain is not authorised to act on behalf of the Michael Jackson estate 
nor to use Michael Jackson's name in any way for charitable or our own commercial purposes. Four months on, we are yet to hear any developments on this foundation, and to be honest, many of us are still wondering what it was all about, and if anything will come of it. I think we may be waiting for a while for updates, but you can be sure that as soon as we hear, MJFFC will post about it via our usual channels. In October, Prince Jackson's charity Hill Los Angeles teamed up yet again with Taj, Tarot and TJ's DG Jackson Foundation for their one-night, invite-only, annual thriller night. They posted details about their event on their social networks. Something of note which I feel is significant is the emphasis this year on the fact that their fundraiser was, quote, presented by the Michael Jackson estate. We hope the estate executives are going to be providing a lot more support to the charities of Michael's family throughout next year too, maybe along with a couple of ideas of their own. We think 2020 needs to be the year where they really push forward with Michael's message, maybe along with some charitable product tie-ins with smaller charities. I guess we'll have to wait and see. As for MJFFC, we're quite literally about to change. <laughs> Sorry I couldn't resist. The month of December sees in a 100th donation. We're very proud to be able to be fundraising for Gardner Street Elementary School, which has a very strong connection to Michael Jackson, as you know for good reasons and controversial ones, but overall they have been wonderful to Michael and some fans wishing to visit the school. More details on how you can contribute to them as a group with MJFFC can be found on our website, mjffc.org. Throughout December, our members are voting for our January 2020 beneficiary. Details on who this will be will be shared online as usual early in January. At the time of recording this, our group currently has 88 monthly £1 donors. And for the cost of one cheap coffee per month, you can get that warm fuzzy feeling inside too, just like our 88 members can testify. It is super simple and takes seconds to join and taking part in the beneficiary voting is purely optional. You can join us for just £1 per month where every penny of that goes to a different beneficiary each month. We can really do with your help and you can cancel at any time automatically, no questions asked. So what was about to change at MJFFC? For almost 10 years now, our Michael Jackson inspired organisation MJ Fans for Charity have been given to various beneficiaries which were mostly other charities. From the start of 2020 however, MJFFC will be evolving. We are starting to find that the word charity is becoming too specific and restrictive, so soon we will be changing the last word of our organisation's name from MJ Fans for Charity to MJ Fans for Change. It may not seem like a massive difference but the change means a lot to us. The MJFFC letters remain the same of course which is handy this name change not only fits in with where we want to take our organisation, but now uses a word that is very fitting, much clearer, and is connected a little bit more to how MJFC came about in the first place almost 10 years ago. At least two of Michael Jackson's songs in particular mention the word change, and change is ultimately the main thing that MJFC is trying to create with the £1 per month charitable project, a change in this world for the better. This tweak along with a larger website update is the start of various other changes, as we will also be updating our areas of focus, FACES, which stood for Family, Animals, Children, Environment and Science and Arts, to fit in more with our change. Also, it is to enable us to not only give to existing charities as we have done for years, but also have an additional focus to be able to contribute to other areas that need financial and volunteer support as put forward by our members, or which can be applied for as grants, which will be coming early in January. Opening up the beneficiary suggestions will mean we can potentially reach those places that were often not known about before and support great causes where MJ fans just like yourself really want to see a change. As you may know, this will be the last time we provide additional updates as part of the MJ cast as they move into their new format in the new year. We would like to thank the fans and the MJ cast for all their help over the years and it has made a huge difference. 
When we started our segments back in episode 75 in March 2018, we had around just 57 monthly £1 members, whereas now we have over 90. We're sure a lot of these came from hearing our segments, so we would very much like to thank the MJ cast for their help with this. We would also like to wish Q all the best and thank him for all of the support he has given us himself. Even though we'll be popping back as a guest in future episodes, it will be sad to hear his voice less often. All the best Q. Thank you for all you have done for Jamin and the MJ cast in general. We can't wait to hear you in future episodes. We'll be sure to keep the fans updated in one way or another via our usual social networks, including twitter.com slash mjffc and facebook.com slash mjffc. We are also on Instagram, Telegram, WhatsApp, Pinterest and YouTube, links of which can be found at the bottom of our shiny new website at www.mjffc.org. Happy holidays, everyone, and keep making that change. Oh, oh.
Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is Jackie Jackson of the Jackson Five, wishing happy holidays to all Motown fans. So moving on to our main discussion topic for this episode, we are going to look back at our special episodes from all of 2019 and reflect on some of our favorite memories from those chats. Not every episode is represented here, or this would be like a 12-hour episode, so be thankful for that. (laughs) We could probably chat about every episode we've done this year and have a really fun time, but we're not going to put you through all that. We're really just focused on those specials. I do recommend if you missed any of our episodes from this year, you know, be sure to go back. For example, we have a square one chat with Danny Wu, which is not featured on this list of special episodes and things like that. So go back and and check out every episode. If you have the time to listen to everyone we've done, we love and appreciate it. And I promise you'll still stumble upon some really fantastic big names in those chats as well. These are just some of the very biggest interviews we did this year. Going back to the very start of season five, we started with Bill Whitfield. And Jamin, do you want to talk about that one? Yeah, this was a, a really a, a highlight for me of what we've done at the MJ Cast for five years. I have a real fondness for executive protection around Michael Jackson because obviously one of the biggest entertainers of all time. That's not an easy task to try and defend him. Oh, no, not defend, to protect him publicly. And I've loved talking to people like Kerry Anderson. And then the next chapter for me was being able to talk to Bill, who was in charge of Michael's security in the, in the final years of his life. So some incredible revelations in this interview. Uh, I think the, the most exciting thing for me was hearing about how Michael was uh, just an ordinary fella, you know, just doing normal dad stuff. And he really really painted Michael Jackson as a, a real-life dad. And I, and I love hearing stories from uh, from Bill about that. Jamin, I think that you said Bill's book, which Remember the Time, is one of your favorite Michael Jackson books, right? It certainly is. It's in my top three. It's right up there with um, Jermaine Jackson's book. And it's it's just phenomenal. If you want to learn about Michael Jackson in those final days and how he really was as a person and it, it, yeah, it's excellent. What was one of your favorite moments that you spent with Michael? Something that comes to mind is one of your favorite things that you, that you shared together or that you did for him or with him. A lot of laughable, laughable moments. I I love I like I loved seeing and hearing him smile and or laugh at something. And if you knew me well enough, you know, and I felt comfortable enough being my personal self at times with with Mr. Jackson. And I would say certain things. It just got to a point to where, you know, you you would just make little comments and he was very shy. Absolutely. Very shy. And what, you know, there's several moments, but one of the moments that stick out for me is when um, we were in, I believe it was in Georgetown. We were at a red light and there was a young lady on the corner to our left. And you know, she's just like, she's about, you know, ready to cross the street, wait for the light. And he goes, he goes, wow. He said, wow, look at her. She's beautiful. And I'm like, I looked over and I'm like, wow, she's hot. You know, she's cute. Long hair, curly hair chick. She was cute. 
I said, you want to meet her? And he said, he said, no, 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 no. I said, all right. So the light changed and I drove off. But I said to myself, you know what? I'm going for it. So he didn't realize what I was doing because he just thought I was just driving. And I'm driving. I turned around and I made it back to where that young lady was walking. And she was walking, like she crossed the street, she started walking down this block. You know, as a matter of fact, she's walking toward Georgetown University. And so I pulled up and I, I pulled up to her and I said, hello, excuse me. I said, hey, how you doing? I'm sorry to bother you. But, you know, listen, I'm doing a personal security detail for someone and they would love to meet you. She says, what, what, she goes, what is it like? What do you got like Michael Jackson back there? I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. And I said, Mr. Jackson. He said, Bill, no. And I'm like, Mr. Jackson, she's right there. You might as well say hello. So he put the window down. He said, hello. He said, you know, oh my God, I didn't know he was going to do this. So it was like, I did what I could to bring some form of normalcy to his life. You know, me, you, we out and about, we see people, you know, and we'll approach them if we want to say something to them. That was not him. He was not. He was never in that position to just meet someone, you know, on his accord. Everybody's always coming to him, and who they run into, they run into Michael Jackson, the King of Pop. I think he really wanted that to be that that guy to kind of make the first move, be an introduction to someone. And I, I put him in that situation. He he was embarrassed. But then he just started asking her questions, you know, like, what was she doing out here? She said she was going to school. He said, what are you going to school to be? And I found that strange because normally when you and I, we meet somebody that's going to school, we'll say, what are you studying? He said, what are you going to be? Because in his mind, people go to school or go to college to be something in general. You know? We've had that conversation about the whole education before. So just, just one of my memories is just having, I put him on the spot to say hello to someone. And it was like he was pretty much making the first move instead of someone coming at him. And that's what I, I know he wanted that. I know he needed that. But it was so funny the way he was caught off guard introducing himself. You know, you know there was the, the girl asked a couple of times, you know, is he really, you know, are you really Michael Jackson? You know, but I think he tried to keep the conversation to what she was doing. What's going on? You know, where are you from? You know, so I, 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 I keep that in mind. The normalcy. It was really fun to revisit that moment on the Bill Whitfield episode. Next, we have our big episode 100. You guys, this one was really, really exciting for us. This was our interview with Brad Buxer. This was a major interview. He does not do very many interviews, so it was a big deal for us to get him on the show. And thank you again to Michael Prince, who really helped us make this happen and who's a wonderful guy. So if you have not heard this episode, first of all, stop everything you're doing. Put this one on pause. Go listen to Brad Buxer. Just to give you guys some insight on how we put together this big Christmas special, we all go back and you know re-listen. I we listen to every word <laughs> of these episodes we've done throughout the year, and that's to find clips to feature on this special. 
this episode in particular, I just loved revisiting so much. I listened to two sections multiple times. Also, you guys, the music selections in this episode were so great. (laughs) And so we get to see him from the studio side, from working together, and also from being really close friends with each other. And it's something pretty amazing. So here we get highlights of their friendship. And this is a bit of a long excerpt. We also include the whole story behind Stranger in Moscow. So please enjoy this. My two clips I've selected here are, I've included the Brad, what what you going to do story because everyone loves to, this still gets brought up on Twitter constantly. There's a story that if we don't ask you, we will be absolutely crucified by Michael's fans. Could you please tell us a story behind the infamous Brad, what you going to do live performance of I Just Can't Stop Loving You? Yeah, that's that's so weird because it was a choreography thing where and I don't know why people are so interested in that. No, I'm so glad you asked the question, but it's like it was such a minor thing. It was like at the end of the song, Saida and Michael on stage come together and they never did that and so i just kept the song going an extra one or two choruses and so what's happening is that the choreography was never completed and remember in any show choreography you know one cue leads to another cue and leads to this or that so everything is triggered from everything else right on a song like smooth criminal dancing will trigger fireworks which will trigger sounds it's, it's like that so i'm waiting for the choreography to finish it never finished and so i I didn't know if Michael wanted the song to keep going or whatever. So I kept it going and I, I kept it going longer than I should have. And then Michael said, Brad, what are you going to do? And I, 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 I stopped the song, you know, at, at, the, at the proper point to stop it. But I, and it was such a non-event. He wasn't mad, nothing. There were so many other points in my relationship with him over the 20 years where maybe I would worry if he was mad at me or if I had said something wrong or this or that. That was a non-event. It even says on the internet, uh, Michael Fire, the musical director. Well, I I did all the the tours after that, right? I was never <laughs> exactly <it's> crazy. <laughs> I never left. It's like, how would I get fired? But it's so silly how, uh, you know, what people are interested in. It was a complete non-event, and that's well, all thank, it was to that. Thank you yeah, for sure. putting it into context. And yeah, I'm kind of glad you asked that because, you know, I, I I hear about it a lot, and it's like. There were so many other things that were so much deeper than that or scarier than that. That was a nothing thing. Michael was amazing to work with. He, he would never yell or get mad at you. If he didn't like what you were doing, you, you probably weren't going to stay around. And he certainly wouldn't talk to you. But now, it doesn't mean he didn't, you know, I've seen him cry. I've seen him throw a phone across the room when he's been hurt. Believe me, I've seen, I've seen a lot. But he was a gentle, sweet man. And... When he didn't like what somebody was doing, he would have somebody else kind of deal with that. You know, he would never rant or yell or anything like that. And with me, I remember on other gigs, we'd be on tour and something would go wrong and somebody would say, are you mad at Brad? Because I'm in charge of everything. And Michael would say, Brad doesn't make mistakes. I remember once Karen Fay told me that, you know, there was an issue at a show where some of the equipment had malfunctioned. And Michael was pretty freaked out. And Karen said, I don't know what happened, but Karen came back to me and said that. She said, are you upset with Brad? And he goes, 
He goes, absolutely not. He goes, Brad doesn't make mistakes. He goes, in other words, he had already realized it was, it was another situation that had caused the problem. So it was a very smooth and harmonious working environment with him. It was absolutely wonderful. He wouldn't talk to you if, if it was anything else. He just wouldn't. He wouldn't talk to you. You could be perfect, a perfect human being. And if he didn't need you for something, he needed me to do his music, whether it was on tour or in the studio. So if he needed you, he'd open the door and now you're talking to him. And if he didn't like the way the vibe was, you'd be out. So it was a thing where it was just uh, beautifully harmonious in the studio and on tour. I don't know how else to put it. That's just the way it was. Can we ask before we, because if we could talk literally about the dangerous era for days and days, because it's such an incredibly creative era and the tour was amazing. But before we move on to maybe the history era, could you share maybe some of your highlights of the dangerous era, whether it be in the studio or on the tour? Just what's some of the, the absolute standout highlights you look back on from that whole I mean, beautiful era? Life, life is thin, so the things that are stand out in my life that are the most glorious are going to sound thin. And I'll tell you one of the times, it was just me and Bruce and Michael. We're sitting in the lounge of one of these studios. I'm sitting with the most powerful two people in the music world on the planet. It's just Bruce and Michael and me. And I can't believe I'm even sitting with them. And this is, I don't know, at some point in the Dangerous album, and I'm just like, I'm just blown away by it. And they, they're giving me so much respect, and they're treating me as a complete equal, and that blew me away. I remember every Friday at Record One during the Dangerous album, the Slam Dunk Sisters would make the great, most amazing food for the crew, right? These two sisters came in and cooked on a Friday, and so the crew, and it was a very small crew, some people that we've already talked about, Bruce and Billy and Brian and me and Matt and so forth, um, the Slam Dunk Sisters would make really good food. And I remember one Friday when, you know, I'm just kind of eating my food and just we're all in the living room. Record one is almost like a house. It's, it's like a house that was converted to a studio. And so we're sitting in the living room and Michael just keeps staring at me, right? And he keeps beaming. And it's like, it got to the point where it was getting so weird that I had to back behind somebody so he couldn't see me. But that's when I realized how much he enjoyed the work I was giving him. Meaning that it was, I, I, that's when I realized how happy he was with me. And that was, a, that was a high point. And the high points with Michael, I think, aren't so much like having fun or jokes. He's not, he's not particularly, he's not like a comedian. He doesn't sit there and tell jokes. He's not social. He's very much by himself. So the high points were just when you're doing work with them. And when you're doing work with them and it's going so seamless, you're talking about other stuff like religion. Like I know exactly how he thinks about God and religion and those sorts of things I may describe someday. I don't know. But, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm not going to, you know, I want to let him have his privacy and his thoughts. And But I know exactly how he thinks about God and exactly how he thinks about religion and exactly how he thinks about a, a lot of things. I know him better than just about anyone on the planet because I was always there. If I wasn't on tour with him, I'd be in the studio with him or I'd be up at the ranch or I'd be working with him over the phone from the ranch to my house at three in the morning. So we got to be extremely close. We're three months apart in age. So we were both, both born in 1958 and I was born in May and he was born in August. So just one of those things where I, I've never 
had any inclination to want to be close to any pop star. I could care less. I just not into it, you know, and probably because I didn't care, you know, it kind of took pressure off him. You know, I'm not not even trying to get to be his good friend. I'm not doing anything. We're just having a blast doing music. Yeah. And it's just that energy is just manifesting its whole it's taking on a life of its own. And it's it, it happened that we had an incredibly strong friendship, you know, so it's just is pure luck. It's just has nothing to do with anything that is about me. It just happens that my personality worked with his personality. And then musically, we worked really well together. So I'm, I miss him intensely. I dream about him. I, I love him. He's the best friend I ever had in my life. You know, it's like insane. Brad, there was a moment at the end of the Dangerous World Tour where you would have been seeing your friends in quite a bit of pain, I'd imagine. The, the tour was cancelled. We don't want to get into all the allegation stuff, but all of that was going on in the background. He was obviously in a lot of pain uh, in his in his private world and, and medically. I mean, what was going through your mind as the musical director as this was unraveling? Well, here's the thing. We're in Mexico City doing eight shows in a row, right? Not in a row. He never did back-to-backs, but um, we're doing eight shows in Mexico City. And the first third of the show, we do a few songs, and then he goes off and there's a break. And I'm playing the keyboards, and he's getting his makeup done or whatever, right? Getting ready for the next part of the night. And he's back there with Karen Fay, and he's crying. He's sobbing. And he's sobbing because he doesn't know what the audience is thinking, right? He's terrified. And he comes out, and we get on with the night. But basically, the very last show we did in Mexico City, and Liz Taylor was there that night, and was probably the worst show I've ever seen him do. He still managed to pull it off, but he was sluggish, and he wasn't clear, right? Whatever was going on, it wasn't the normal Michael. That's when Liz Taylor decided to take him to Betty Ford Clinic or wherever she took him. That's when the Dangerous Tour ended. We went back and I went back by myself. The band went back as a group. And I, I remember getting a call from some news people, TV stations. I didn't take the call. I don't really do many interviews or anything. And uh, yeah, I, I remember exactly when that ended. It was weird, but it was, I knew how much pain he was going through and it was just, he couldn't keep going on. So it was time for a break. You know, it didn't mean that anything was ending. Michael always worked. And even at the worst points in Michael's life, and there were much worse points than, than then, with the first uh, crazy crap that was going on with the horrible things that people said about him, he was always able to work. He is the strongest human being I've ever seen in my life. He's incredible. The guy, no matter what's going on, the guy's not going to lie in bed and not get out of bed. He's going to get up and he's going to work, no matter what's going on. So as far as me and him, there was no break. Let's deep dive into Stranger because it is an absolute highlight and just creative peak, I think, of Michael's um, output. And I know when I first got into Michael Jackson, when I was like, you know, 15 or 16, I remember buying the History album and that was a song I just played on repeat night after night after night. It just totally relaxed me as a... It's beautiful, yeah. as As a young kid, you know, dealing with some anxiety and stuff at high school, it was just a song that totally relaxed me. I want to know how it began. So, I mean, there's conflicting stories. There's the story that it grew out of Sonic the Hedgehog number three, the work you did on that. There's there's stories that Michael conceived it while he was in Moscow dealing with a very difficult time. I'll tell you exactly how this worked. Michael 
worked out a deal with Sega where Michael was going to do the music for Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Then he called me and he said, Brad, get to work on doing the music for Sonic the Hedgehog 3. And he really wasn't up for doing a whole lot. Me and Matt Forger at Record One for a solid month did cues. And I delegated other people to help me like Doug Grigsby and Daryl Ross and different people. But at the end of the day, we had about 41 cues and they sounded really good. And so now we're in Moscow playing concerts there. And, you know, Michael's going through a lot, as you can imagine at that time, right, with his situation. And so he calls me at 1030 in the morning to come to his hotel. I come there and he's really, really sad. And there's a piano there, an upright piano. And he goes, just start playing something. And so one of the cues, like the very first cue I did for Sonic was the verse for Stranger in Moscow, only played in a very cartoon-like way. But it's the exact notes, the exact key, the exact voicings, everything, right? So when I came to his room at 10.30 in the morning, I had, back then we used cassettes, and I had a cassette of the 41 cues, and I thought he wanted to hear how the work was going with, with Sega. And so he goes, no, I don't want to hear any of that. And I go, okay. And he goes, he said, just start playing. And so I played a bunch of stuff, and then I played that cue, but I played it in a much different way. You know, I just, I didn't play in a cartoonish way. I played it, just started playing. But it was the exact same chords, the exact same voicings, everything. It's an E flat and it's E flat to D flat add nine to F sharp to G to A flat. And that's the verse. And it does it four times and the voicings change the third cycle. So at any rate, um, I played that and he really liked it. And then I instinctively went to uh, E major seven chord to an A chord. And it's just basically... Uh, on the last chord, which is an A flat, two of the notes in an A flat triad, which are A flat and E flat, also are the major third and the major seventh of an E major seven chord. So it's a little trick that you do to change as few notes as possible to get as much psychological impact as possible. And I did it instinctively because I did. You know, Stevie always told me to let the least amount of notes possible, you know, get the most emotional impact with the least notes. I did that and I, played the chorus and the chorus I came up with spontaneously. So now we had the verse and the chorus and he goes, stop, that's it. That's it. That's it. And that's basically the song that stranger in Moscow. And he wrote beautiful lyrics to it. And basically the melody for the most part is just the top notes of the chords I'm playing. And um, the verse was born from one of the very first cues I did for Sega for Sonic the Hedgehog. And the song came together in that hour and a half that morning in Moscow. Yeah. But when, I mean, this is an interesting thing because when you look at the album credits, it specifically credits Michael Jackson as the producer. It was everything on the song. So, I mean, how do you feel about that years later? Terrible. I mean, but li listen, listen, he, he, overall, if you look at it as a balance, right, you know, was life perfect with him? No. Right. But did he, was it mostly really great? Yeah. Do I love him to death? Yeah. Was he a perfect human being? No. Now, if I just had the knowledge to say right after we put together Stranger in Moscow, did I just write a song with you, Michael? He would have said yes. And I'm standing out of the doorway at noontime, an hour and a half after we started, thinking, I need to say something. Should I say, Michael, did we just write a song together? But he's so depressed, and it was so obvious that we just had, I didn't say anything. And that was my 
lack of experience. You know, I'm his musical director at that point, so I have a great gig with him. And, you know, how far do you want to, you, you want to be grateful for the, the stuff you already got going on. And I just assumed that it was a non-issue. But, so I didn't say anything, and I should have. And in retro, that's why when Billy Betrell said to me when we first did Heal the World, Billy immediately came in and said, if you want writing credit on that, speak up now. You know, and so that's how stuff works. You know, if you do something with an artist like that, you need to say something at the time. You can't just let it go. And I just didn't know any better. I was just done. So that's that's what happened with that. Now, on the history album, nobody got credit on playing parts. You know, there was I got lots of credit on the album, but it was nebulous. In other words, my name was on there, but it doesn't show what songs I played on. And that's the same for the other players where the producers are attached to each song that they did. Well, with Stranger in Moscow, basically, Michael, I did all the tracks. I did the drums. I did the bass. I did the strings. I did the percussion from his beatbox. In, in the, the very last days of production on that, Michael brought in Toto, the guys from Toto, and they did some wonderful things on that, right? They laid down a beautiful bass line. There was a, a sax lick in the chorus. Um, there's a guitar lick that was added to it. But basically, I did all the tracks. And if, if you, you know, like Joe Vogel wrote a book about Michael's music, the man and his music, I think. And, you know, Joe in the book analyzed and broke down who did what on this. And I did, a, I did all the tracks on Stranger in Moscow and I got no credit on it. And it's like, you know, I'm not going to cry about it. Or Life is full of injustices and you can't whine or cry about it. You just, you just kind of, Look at what the good things are. And there were so many good things with him. There were so many amazing things that he did for me. And I had such a good time with him. And it's like, it's kind of like if you have a best friend and the best friend at one point in the relationship starts to look at your girlfriend too closely and the girlfriend gets distracted. Now you have problems with that. It's like you can choose to like hate your best friend or you can kind of like just sort of let it pass and like, see if there's no new problems like that. And if there are no new problems like that, you kind of just go on with things and you don't, like I said, and I'll repeat it again, life is full of injustices and just get over it. It's not a big deal. I love Michael. You know, he's the best friend I've ever had in my life. And that's, he's God and I'm Brad. And I'm just so lucky to just been around him. You know, it's like all good. It's all good. Is that just (laughs) how the industry sort of operates and it's sort of, I guess, in a way, a natural way that the music is created and attributed and, how things sometimes are so organic that they just happen that way. I think if you don't stand up and say, I did this, they may take that as weakness and just sort of absorb it as if they did it. Right. And I was doing so many other things for him. It's like, do I really want to make an issue of stranger in Moscow when, you know, we're about to do like a world tour with history and I'm the musical director. No, of course not. And is it really that big of a deal in the long run? I'm not, no, not for me. It's not. It would have been great, but it just didn't happen. And so, so what? So what? It's like it's more about the art of the song. The song is gorgeous. Yeah. And and I everyone knows what I did on that. I, th- I think they do. Um, and I think that and I'm fine with that. You know, and I adore him and love him. And, and there would be no stranger in Moscow without him. Don't forget. Right. Oh, yeah. 
So continuing our 100th anniversary episode celebrations, we rocked up with episode 101 with Tarrell Jackson. So that was around the time of the year that Tarrell was launching his first solo album. And if you haven't checked that Jackson music release out, go back and check that out. It's really good. It was also so awesome to talk to Tarrell because his memory is just incredible. Like, and I remember Taj had mentioned that to us earlier uh, in the seasons that Tarrell's the guy to speak to if you want detail and like remembrances that are spot on. So this whole episode was so good because Tarrell was really candid and open. He didn't shy away from anything at all. And we were really so stoked with that. But there's a number of really good stories from this episode. But in this section, he gets emotional about his inspiration from his Uncle Michael and he touches on the unreleased album. This segment feels really real and deep and, uh, yeah, enjoy. Yeah, I just want to add to this one as well before we go into it that it's it's not often that we get guests like Tarrell. Like, there's only really been a handful of times in all the all the specials we've done where you really feel. Sometimes when we do interviews, you can feel that they're wrapping up and the guest wants to go, and it's at the end of you spend two hours and they want to go. But with Tarrell in particular, and I remember Tom Mesero was like this as well, and and Michael Prince in particular they could have just kept going. I think at the end of the Tarot one, we were wrapping the interview and he was so calm and comfortable and, and willing to give his stories. It, it was real. We were very, very lucky to speak to Tarot because he was just, he, uh, he just wanted to keep going. Melody and lush sounds really strike me as a common denominator in all that you do. How difficult is it to get to that point where you've created the exact sound and feel that you're after? That comes from my uncle. That's just, he always taught us melody is king. Melody is king. You you go with the melody always. So I've always tried to study and come up with strong melodies And then as far as production, he taught me the key is to get whatever you have in your head to the speakers. So however you're hearing it, you have to translate it because that's that's the way it's supposed to be. So basically, you know, I'm just trying to get down the information that I hear and the way I hear it onto what do we use the hard drive or not to tape anymore because no one uses tape, but to the speakers, to the to the listener. That makes sense? It does. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So Crazy Love, it's out. It's on Apple Music. It's on Spotify. It's it's everywhere. Q and I have been mm-hmm. listening to it on repeat for the last week, loving it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, especially you. when driving around in the car. We've been I've I've been listening <laughs> to it a lot in the car. So congratulations on its release. Thank you. When you listen to it, the thing that stands out to me is that there is a real sort of dichotomy between what you've done before traditionally, like the classic sort of R&B sound, but being blended with like electronic sort of experimentation. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Was that was that a conscious decision right from the start to make it like that? Or were you more just writing songs and it evolved that way? 
this is funny. So there's 10 songs on the album. I think everything happens for a reason. The timing of everything happens for a reason. My whole journey into the EDM world, which I love, it really helped me with the production and sonically with this album. My years and years of studying music, R&B music, it's, it shows with this project. And I think the marriage of the two is, is kind of gave me a different sound. There's songs, believe it or not, there's songs on this album that are not many. I think there's only two that are quite old, older, I should say. I haven't really said this before, and I, I'll share it here with you guys. One of the songs, I, um, it, it's, uh, it, was, it was one of my last conversations with my uncle. So it, it was um, very meaningful to me. But um, one of the songs on the album, I'm always recording. So I did an album that I never released. And I took some of the songs from that album and added it to this album because I felt it fit. And one of the songs that I took was a song called Make You Mine. And um, that was a song that I played for my uncle. It's, uh, sorry, I know I sound crazy, but I'm just trying not to be emotional. When I hear it, it brings me back to my conversation with him. So it's hard to talk about it at times. But it's... Um, <laughs> I uh, There was an album, like I said, that I did that I haven't released. It, it's, it was called The Way That I Am. And um, I, couldn't, I couldn't help the way that I sound my my voice and things and and the way I was singing certain things and my uncle always being a part of my music career and just part of my life and, and an inspiration I I have always shared my music with him always everything I've I've always sent him music and he's always given me feedback so with make you mine he heard it and his words were because wow you sound you sound a lot like me. You sound a lot like me. And, and I, I said, I, I know I, I can't help it. I'm just, you know, and it's funny because it was, it's just the way that I am. And he, he told me, he said, it's, it's, it's DNA. There's nothing you can do, you know. And he actually told me to go back and do more, do more. Don't worry about that. And to do more, re-record it, do your vocals over and just go for it. Don't worry about anything and go for it. And he said, I give you my permission. It was a joke, you know. Like, I give you my permission and it sounds good. It was just a very fun conversation. He was always pulling from me, like pulling things out of me. And um, I, just, I just went back to lessons that he's taught me. But I remember him teaching me uh, how to sing. And he used Billie Jean as an example. And he would sing, you know, a couple lines of Billie Jean. And he would sing it very lazy. He would sing, you could sing it like this. And then he would sing it. And he'd have no emotion. You know, he'd be on key, but he'd have no emotion. And they said, or you could sing it like this. And then he would sing it the way you would hear it on the record. He goes, now, which one did you feel more? And obviously you felt the one like you hear on the record. His message was, you have to feel it. The audience won't feel it. The listener will not feel it if you're not feeling it. Don't worry about anything else. Just feel it. That's what I did. He said, more. You have to feel it more. You're feeling it a little bit, but I want you to feel it more. 
So a lot of times when, when I hear that, I think of the lessons that he's still giving me. That brings back that, that memory for me. And that's why it's very, um, that's why that song is very um, personal for me. Well, hold, please. Hold on. Hold. No trouble. I need a minute. <laughs> okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. All right. So our next episode was episode 103. This was one of our annual Vindication Day specials. Uh, we love talking to people that were involved in the mid-2000s trial so that we can educate our audience on what really went on with that trial and also Michael Jackson's innocence. And Larry uh, was, I would say, a minor player in the trial, but still somebody with an interesting story nonetheless, because he was employed by Michael Jackson's defense team during the trial to capture the real Neverland on video so that the jury in the trial could be walked through Neverland via video because the judge wouldn't allow the jury to visit the place. Now, Larry does a phenomenal interview with us about uh, his experiences capturing Neverland, what it was like as a place, and also seeing Michael Jackson right there in the courtroom during the trial. Really loved uh, recording this episode of our Vindication Day special. Well, actually, it's kind of a fun first experience. I hadn't seen Michael the whole time I was at Neverland. I was dying to be in one of the attorney meetings with him when they discussed strategy, like I am sometimes with my other clients. I thought this will be fascinating, but they never invited me into any strategy meetings. And I understand. But when I went to testify the first day, I was waiting in the waiting room uh, to come on and uh, the, the waiting room for witnesses that they wait in. And I was looking out the window of the door and I saw what looked like a Boy Scout out in the hallway with all these badges and all. I thought, oh, I wonder what a Boy Scout's doing out there. And then when I looked through the window, it was actually Michael. He he was in one of his outfits with a lot of uh, kind of military uh, things and uh, Boy Scout type badges. So then I sat out in the hallway because Michael was going to the bathroom and um, they had cleared out the bathroom. And then when he came out of the bathroom, he had to walk by me to go back to the courtroom. And I, I nodded hi. I said, hi, how are you doing? And he nodded, just gave me a very nice smile, hi. And he, I, I, he didn't necessarily know I was, who I was at that point. And then the second day when I was on the stand waiting for the court to start and Michael was sitting there opposite me, he, he sits opposite all the witnesses. Uh, he gave me a really sweet uh, gesture while I was waiting to start of kind of a namaste, of putting his hands together as kind of in a Buddhist salute. And poor guy seemed like he was really stressed, as you know we can imagine he must have been. You imagine how stressful that would have been for him, you know, feeling so strongly about loving children and helping kids and being accused of doing the exact opposite. That must have really been stressful on him. And then I have one other little Michael story. Another day I came back, I wasn't testifying, but I, I went to the office to drop some some material off to Bob Sanger across the street. And then I went to the courthouse and I, I enjoyed all, you know, all the courthouse action, all the fans out there and the hoopla and the media. I love seeing media. It's just so fascinating to see how they work. And I had to go to the bathroom. I went upstairs to a, a bathroom and just as I was about to walk in, a guard came up to me and said, uh, excuse me, um, are you going to be long in that? Are you going to take long time in that bathroom? And I had to think about what I needed to do. And I said, yeah, I might. 
He said, well, okay, well, you'll have to find another bathroom. Uh, and it, 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 he was guarding it because Michael had to use it. And he, I guess he made sure that the bathroom was empty when, uh, when, he, he, when he used it. And then I also went in the room where Michael sat was not in the, on the stand at the courthouse. And it was just a tiny little room, like seven feet by seven feet. And there was a picnic basket of goodies probably that the chefs at Neverland had prepared for him and some ba other bags and private things. And just kind of so sad what, you know, Michael was reduced to sitting in this little waiting room while the whole world staring at him, accusing him of awful things. And one other Michael story is um, when I finished testifying on the second day and I'm leaving the courthouse, a couple of Michael's drivers came up to me and said, uh, would you like a, a ride back to your car? And I said, sure, even though it was just around the corner. So I got in Michael's SUV that he was using, and there was a picnic basket in there that they, they, apparently they packed that for him every day. And I was tempted to help myself, but I kept it there for Michael. <laughs> I'm kind of joking. I, I wouldn't have really eaten it. Those are some of my Michael stories. Jumping to our June 25th special, episode 104, we had Ginny Winings on the show. Now, Ginny is an amazing mega fan who has also had really, really incredible experiences directly with Michael Jackson. She stayed overnight at Neverland. She went to toy stores. Her stories are incredible. I got to actually meet Jenny this fall um, at the Square One premiere, and she's just as wonderful in person. And I have to say, she has lately, she has been flying all over the world, going to all the Square One premieres everywhere. It's incredible. <laughs> I'm very jealous of her life. <laughs> but she's a great person and a true advocate for Michael Jackson. So this, this excerpt we are featuring is a story of going shopping at Toys R Us with Michael and Gavin Arvizo, by the way. And Ginny and her friends are invited to stay overnight at Neverland, and Michael gives them a personal tour of his house. So for, you know, our last episode, for example, episode 112 was this amazing, like, episode with lots of fan chat. If you love the fan chat and you love the really amazing fan stories, Ginny is your girl. Please be sure to check this out and hope you enjoy this little snippet. You've been shopping with Michael and friends in Toys R Us. <laughs> Just to remind listeners, by the way, remember they left their cars, doors mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. They just jumped into limo with Michael. Their cars, all their stuff is like not under supervision. Car oh, yeah, doors no. open. You know, just to remind people, I think that's hilarious. Anyway, do you, do you get back dropped off at your cars or like do you get so, a lift back into <clears throat> town or how do you get to Neverland? We had a hotel that night in Solvang, which is about five minutes away from his house. So we had a hotel already booked. Well, my friend Ahmad, who was the one who that day said, hey, Michael's back in Neverland. We were in the limo on the way back, and he asked Michael, can we stay at Neverland? And I remember my friend and I going, oh, but no, it's okay. We have a hotel. And Michael was just like, sure. Like, not he didn't even think about it. Didn't even question it. Just like, sure. So we were like, at that point, I remember thinking, oh, my God, in my head, like, we're going to sleep in Neverland. You know, I mean, this is a place that you hear of, you've heard about for 
since the eighties, you know, and, and you've seen it on the Oprah interview, you've seen it on all these interviews. And, and now you're like, not just going to go there. You're sleeping there. Uh, the limo stopped at the end of the street where we had our car. If there was one place in America that I would feel safe leaving my cars with every personal belonging that I had with me at the time in the car with all the doors open, it would be at the end of his street. It was such a little cute, quiet town. Thank God everything was still there. (laughs) (laughs) We got back into the car and we just followed the limo five miles down to his house. And we just parked in the front of his house, got out of the car and and walked inside. (laughs) It was kind of like just taking it all in, like going, driving through the big, we've all seen them, the big Neverland arch. I mean, just this whole day slash night was the most surreal experience ever, you know? So just driving in and not believing that it's actually happening. (laughs) Still to this day, it's crazy. Like I don't talk to people about this. So when I do, it's, it's very odd that this, this this was me, that this was me that did this and experienced all this because it's been so long since it happened. But then I, rem- I told myself, Jenny, try and remember as much as you can because you'll never have this again, basically. So when we uh, got out of the car and when we walked in his house, somebody I was with made the comment like, oh, Michael, it's such a beautiful foyer entranceway. And he literally said, oh, you've never been here? Like, really? <laughs> Uh, no, no, Michael. Uh, no. Uh, let me think. Let me just try and remember. Uh, no, no, Michael. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I ha- I could be forgetting sometime. No, Michael, we have not been here. I was just like when he and he was so excited almost like, oh, you've never been here. I mean, no, but I'll come back if you want me to. You know, that's what I should say. <laughs> he then proceeded to give us a tour of his entire house, every room, his memorabilia room, which was a closet, but he kept a lot of memorabilia. He had a two story bedroom. And I remember vividly walking into the first floor of his bedroom and then walking up the stairs to where his bed was. I remember that vividly. I remember sitting on his bed. I mean, I just remember walking behind him up the stairs to his bed. I remember that. And I'm just like, what is my life right now? (laughs) (laughs) Jenny, little Jenny from Ohio. And now you're you know, now you're in Neverland with Michael Jackson. What? Um, sort of puts, you know, you know, into perspective, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, you always used to only have boys visit Neverland. Right. Because here you I are. A, I was a 20-year-old girl or a 19-year-old girl. People think they're funny because they'll say to me, oh, like, that's what they'll say. Oh, you're a girl? Or And how old were you? They want me to say I was like 10 years old. You know, no, I was an adult. I did this on my own. like. And so, you were with like, you know, Joanna and, and friends. Oh, I was, yeah, there was seven or eight of friends. And then, you know, like I said before, Gavin and then Frank and it was a whole group of people. Now, during the tour, also a silly string fight broke out between Gavin and his brother and sister. And then us, we were having silly string fight inside Michael's house. I mean, everybody was literally having a great time. Which is crazy because if I was being held hostage in that situation, I might be okay with it because it seemed like <laughs> it was a very fun hostage situation that I really wouldn't so. mind, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
did you want to take us on like a sort of a brief tour of the house that Michael toured you on? What was it like? Were there rooms that you were sort of really amazed by were, that Michael told stories about as he was um, showing you around? He didn't really tell stories. He just kind of took us through and he was like, this is the library. And, you know, this is he didn't like give a full detail tour, but he just kind of walked us around. And I mean, it was a gorgeous house. I don't know if you've seen, I actually the other day was looking up YouTube videos now that, you know, there's nothing left in it, which is really heartbreaking, but it's a beautiful house, beautiful property. So, and it was at nighttime, so we couldn't really see outside. He just took us through. I mean, I do remember going into his closet and seeing the shoes that he said he wore in the Smooth Criminal video. He had lots of memorabilia from like Elizabeth Taylor and Shirley Temple. His bedroom, there was just stuff everywhere. Like, I don't remember if he told any more stories about it. I don't think so. I think it was kind of a walkthrough thing. But after the tour, Michael said he had to go work on music. So he stood up and we all took turns giving him a hug and saying bye. And after we did, we go back to the the line and we come up and say bye again. And finally, he was like, I see what you all are doing here because we just we're going to keep going and going. (laughs) We did finally say goodbye and we sat down on his dining room table. I remember it was Mexican night. So we had Mexican food. Still, Gavin, his brother and sister, we were all together. still, just laughing, having fun. After dinner, we went to the amusement park. We went on every single ride, which was amazing. Went to the arcade. And while we were in the arcade, we looked up because Michael wasn't in there with us. He said he was going to work on music. And all of a sudden, we looked up and Michael just comes strolling in the arcade. And we all just kind of like nonchalantly were like, hey, Michael, and just kept doing whatever we were doing. (laughs) At one point, we started like a soul train line. And everybody was taking turns dancing and Michael did not want to. He was so shy. <laughs> we were like, come on, Michael. He was like, no, I, I don't want to. I don't remember what he said, but everyone else danced. He did not. He would not dance. The most vivid memory I have about the arcade was at one point I was standing in front of the jukebox, just like going through the songs and Eminem was playing. Michael was a very big fan of Eminem at the time. And all of a sudden I felt something on my leg and I looked down and Michael was squatted down and holding on to my leg with his ear right up on the speakers. And the speakers were so loud. I don't know how he didn't have hearing loss. Maybe he did. I don't know. But I just remember looking down and he was keeping his balance by holding on to my leg. <laughs> yeah. 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 Again, I think the word of the day is surreal because that's pretty much everything I talk about. I could say that word in every sentence. So finally, he did say goodnight to us uh, and went back to the house. And then we went to the theater, which we still at this point didn't know where we'd be sleeping. After we got into the theater, Frank Cassio drove me to the car so I could get our thing. So I, I grabbed a few bags for me and my friends. Got our stuff and went back to the theater. There was a movie on, but eventually we went to sleep. I think this is something that I don't know if we talked about this when we first spoke, because I don't know if this came out afterwards. So the theater was two floors, at least two floors, and they had bedrooms in the theaters with big windows for, you know, disabled children who could not sit up on their own. So we were going to sleep upstairs in a bedroom. Two people slept in the bed and then two people slept on the floor on each side. And we were like, okay, so what has come out? in the past two months maybe is that James Safechuck said that the glass on the windows on the top floor were only one-sided. So people on the top floor could see down into the theater and like watch the movie, but you could not see up into the room from the bottom floor. 
that is a lie. I remember seeing where we were going to sleep. And there have been hundreds of people that have been in that theater that have come out and said, that's a lie. That glass was not one way. So yeah, we just ended up falling asleep in the theater. Gavin and his brother and sister weren't, they were there with us the entire time until it was time to go to bed. I do not know where they slept that night. I do not know where Michael slept. I don't know where anyone else slept, but my friends and and me. Can I ask about, well, God, you know, I'd want to ask about every room that you saw Mm -hmm. or things like that, but how about the grounds? How about the gardens and the mm-hmm. amusement park? Yeah. Can you, can you just tell us a little bit about the experience and what it was like to be walking amongst those trees, those gardens, those rides? It was at night, so we couldn't really see much of the grounds. But, the, I mean, the amusement park was just like any amusement park with the lights all lit up. There was music blasting through the whole amusement park. He always had music throughout the entire grounds on Neverland. It was just amazing to be there. Now, the next day, we did see some of the grounds. And like I said, I had been back in many times after that. So I saw it during the day many times. And it was beautiful. Everything was just so upkept, if that's the word I'm trying to, just so clean and so beautiful. You could just tell that he was very proud of Neverland and he wanted to, you know, keep it, beautiful. And it really was. Once you went under the Neverland Arch, you drove about a minute or two before you got to the main house. And it was just beautiful. There were ponds everywhere and statues and trees. And it was just, it was just gorgeous. That's nice. That's yeah. I wish I could have got the chance to go there. Maybe I still will one day. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, it still looks like I said, they have YouTube videos from like last year. It still looks really, you know, they kept, they definitely kept the grounds up. But it's very strange to see that they're, you know, the amusement park is gone. The house is empty. So that's very strange. So the next morning we for, we slept in the theater. We just woke up and security, the Chris came and got us and to the uh, golf cart or the car to go to the house. And Michael was there and Michael did say hi to us the next morning as we were leaving the theater to go eat breakfast. So he did say hi and we did thank him tremendously for letting us stay overnight. Because, I mean, what other celebrity let alone the most famous person on the planet, will let people stay on their property, you know? We ate breakfast, and we went to the zoo to see the animals. Gavin and his family were there as well still, and so this was now March 10th, 2003. Again, no weird vibes. No nothing, no weird vibes. Any sign of Gavin's mum at all? No. Okay. No, I did not see them. I don't, I don't know if she was there but I didn't see any, I didn't not see her. And then that day when we were leaving, it was probably around two or three in the afternoon. And we got into our car and drove to the outside of the gates. And I remember we parked the car and got out of the car just to make sure we had everything. And, you know, just to get situated before we drove away. And I remember Gavin and his brother and sister came to the gates and we went up to them and they were basically begging us to come back and stay longer. They were like, we'll ask if you can stay, you know, like we want you guys to still stay. I mean, looking back on that, it really pisses me off, (laughs) you know? So, but we were already outside of the gates and we were ready to go. Plus it wasn't up to them if we stayed or not. So we just said goodbye and that was it. Thought that was going to be the last I heard from them or about them. So fast forward to November, 2003, you know, (laughs) I have to say that episode 104, the June 25th special with Jenny, was definitely one of my favorites this year. It was a 
meant to be a very sort of small discussion with Jenny, which we ended up having to go, nope, Jenny, we need to get you back for a whole episode because this is just bigger than we could have imagined. And it came out so beautiful. And I'm so proud that we got to share Jenny's story this year. So if you haven't, Hopefully that little snippet wet your appetite. Go back and check out the June 25th episode 104. But definitely probably the biggest highlight for me this year ended up being episode 107, the Big Al Scanlon special episode we did. It was just incredible. I loved it. It was just an amazing discussion with Big Al hearing about Neverland from his perspective, his personal insight and input into Neverland and his interactions with Michael. Uh, so it was really, really hard to pick a clip for this. So I somehow narrowed it down. I think I had four to start with, but I've chosen this clip. It is related to Christmas. And I thought that was really cool to put in for our Christmas special. It's, um, Christmas at Neverland, it involves Santa Claus, and also it ran into a really personal story, which I just have not been able to get out of my head since, about and Michael's own experience when he went and saw a local county 4th of July fireworks show. So if you have skipped this episode, I'm quite sure that this little clip will get you to head back and check it out, and if you wanted i think you'll probably want to go back and revisit it if you have already heard it here is big owl you could almost count on something almost something happening every weekend so you'd spend uh, i mean we had days off don't get don't get me wrong it's not like we never had days off but we did end up working a lot of overtime, and sometimes we didn't have days off. And uh, one time in particular, when I when I said there were only two of us who could operate the steam train, we, we could pretty much, without any knowledge or top secret information from LA, we kind of could always figure we we're going to be busy around Christmas. You know, Michael would usually come home, take some time off from whatever he was doing, with friends and family up there. So we could always kind of count on Christmas being busy. Well, one of Christmas, I actually got a phone call and said, if you or any of your you know, people on staff want to make plans for Christmas, you can go ahead. Michael's going to be, I think, you know, he's going to be in New York working on an album or something. So the only person that really wanted to take a vacation was the only other person that could run the steam train. <laughs> so, And he had family down in Mexico, so he takes off to go to Mexico. I think the next day, or maybe even the day that he took off, you know, I don't know, I get a call. It's been a change of plans. It's going to be the biggest Christmas ever. So oh, my God. God. Great. <laughs> so there was a, for anybody that's ever been to the zoo or, or the Neverland, you might might recall down in the zoo, there was a, we called it the, the ranch house. It was like, an it was there before the big main house was built back in the 70s, and it was the ranch hands house. And it was, I don't know, three bedroom was furnished, had satellite TV, and, but nobody ever used it. So when I found out that Michael was gonna be home for you know probably three weeks or more, I just packed a suitcase and moved in because the steam train, now I'm the, I'm the only person that can operate the steam train, 
you have to start at, at seven o'clock in the morning. And if, if you close the amusement park at 10, which was normal, but not guaranteed when Michael was there, it was still like another, you know, half hour to an hour to shut the steam paint down. You, know, you just don't turn it off and walk away from it. So, so I knew I was going to be out there long hours. Plus on top of that, it's, you know, 40, 45 minute drive home. So I just said, it's a, it's a waste of time for me to drive back and forth. You know, I'm only going to be sleeping for about three hours. And so I wound up staying there the whole time, which is, which leads into another story, Christmas Eve. It's about 1130 at night. I put the steam train away and I think I'd taken a shower and was watching a little TV as in my sweats and the phone rings. And now I'm thinking the only people that know I'm there or in the, at the ranch house staying there, it's, is uh, the fire department and security. Now, I know that there's people on property, including Michael, and there was a game in the arcade that actually required one of us to be there. It was kind of a flight simulator type ride, and it required somebody to be at the controls in case something happened to shut it off. So when the phone rang, I answered it with a little bit of an attitude because I'm thinking somebody wants to ride that ride in the arcade, and i got to go back down there. I answered the phone. What? <laughs> thinking, of course, it was going to be somebody from security, and it was Michael. And he goes, and he, and he, he, uh, he goes, Big Al, and I'm thinking, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> but he, he was on a mission. He said, uh, he says, Big Al, he says, now this is 11:30 on Christmas Eve. He goes, Big Al, he says, can you get a Santa Claus suit for tomorrow morning? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, where could I get a Santa Claus suit this late at night on Christmas Eve? I actually said something that he actually chuckled at because they knew I didn't mean I didn't mean it in a mean way, but I said, you know what? Not even Michael Jackson could get a Santa Claus suit at eleven thirty at night on Christmas Eve. <laughs> and he, he, did, he, he did chuckle a little after. But I mean, when the words were coming out of my mouth, I thought that wasn't the right thing to say, but it was true. Although, you know, I look back on when I tell that story now, I think, you know, if I would have called the right person down in L.A., it might have happened. I don't know, but. <laughs> Anyway, that Christmas went very well. It was the biggest Christmas ever. Michael was very happy. And, and I, when it was over, I went home and took a couple of days off and did my laundry and life was good. Fast forward about six months, and I think I sent this picture to you. There's, there's a picture of me. You can't tell it's me, but I'm sitting on top of an elephant in a Santa Claus suit. Oh, yeah. I remember that picture, and I'm so <laughs> glad we're getting this story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you'll have to you'll have to include that on your on your website there, so people can, can see it. So, sure thing. Uh, we will. So, so this person down in LA that, that's uh, way up there on the, on the ladder calls and she says, uh, uh, and, and usually when she calls, it's, you know, there's something special on event or guests coming or whatever. And she's just letting me know. Or but anyway, she goes, um, what's your hat size? Which, and now of course you're going to know where this is going, but I was clueless. I was like, What's your pants size? What's your inseam? What's your boot? What's I mean? She was asking me all these questions, and after about four questions, I went, I went, wait a minute, what is going on? Am I going to a wedding or what? You know, you get me a fit of me for a tux, and, and uh, she goes, no. She goes, she goes, Michael Bush, and of course, I don't have to explain to you who Michael Bush is. Usually, when I tell a story, I have to tell people who he is. But I said, I said, he, she says, Michael Bush is making you a Santa Claus suit. Oh wow. So that Santa Claus, you see, if you can zoom in on that picture, you probably can't get all the detail, but it is quite the fancy Santa Claus. Let me tell you. So that's how I got. That's how I wound up with that Santa Claus. And you played Santa at some point because you've got yeah, the pictures I, of I, you I in it. Usually, actually, I think there's another picture in there. I don't know if you can tell. It's a long shot from the small train. And if you look on the bench there, 
I'm, I got my back to the camera, but I'm sitting on this bench in my Santa Claus suit. And my oldest boy, Christopher, is there. He's dressed in, a, in, in black dress pants and a white shirt and tie. And we're greeting a train load of people. This is the one time, I think, that the media, some of the media anyway, including Geraldo. I got to meet Geraldo that day, but he was, uh, I was in a Santa Claus suit, so I'm sure he doesn't remember who I am other than Santa Claus. But we were doing a, kind of a media thing there. And, and there, was, there was a group of kids there, too. But anyway, I, I had my bag full of uh, Christmas candy, and I was handing out candy to people when they got off the small train. And, which there's, there's another sh short story right there. So a couple of days later, the, one of the media that was allowed to come out there was the, the local newspaper from Santa Maria, which was you know the, the nearest town. Uh, and the next day, I get the newspaper, and that picture of me in my Santa Claus suit sitting on that bench is on the front page, and it's like a quarter-page size picture. And then down in the very bottom right-hand corner, about the size of a postage stamp, there was a picture of Michael. <laughs> so oh, so wow. I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to take that picture and show it to Michael. Michael said, look, <laughs> I got first billing over Michael Jackson. <laughs> I was just, oh, I was so, I was so amazed. I was, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Well, I guess if That's there great. was any, any name to trump Michael Jackson, bigger, <laughs> it would be Santa Claus. It'd be sad, of course. That's right. <laughs> Did Michael ever celebrate any other holidays at Neverland, like Fourth of July or Halloween, that you're aware of? Well, he absolutely loved fireworks. So, of course, now we're in the middle of nothing but sycamore and oak trees, <laughs> and depending on how much <laughs> rain we've had, which we don't have any rain that time of year, fireworks are not a good idea. And this is another uh, through our fire department. At the ranch, I met the captain of the fire department in Lompoc, which was about a 30-mile drive from the ranch, something like that. And they, the fire department there always did, I don't know if they still do, but they always did a big 4th of July fireworks thing at the high school football stadium. And uh, so we arranged to go over there with Michael and some of his guests in the van and nobody was going to know we were coming except for this this captain, and we and we absolutely trusted this guy. He says, he goes, I got to tell. There's a sheriff at the back gate, and I want you to come in the back gate. But he says, none of my guys will know, and nobody but that sheriff, and I trust him. Nobody's going to know you're coming except for me and that sheriff, and you'll be good to go. Okay. So we tell Michael, hey, if you want to go and see a real fireworks show, I can take you there, and you'll be sitting away from the crowd, and and you know. So we get there, and uh, <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe it. Some of the stuff that happened, and I just, I, I just, I cherish, I cherish, I cherish these memories. And, and like I said, like I always, I always have to have a disclaimer. I said some of these stories I tell, I, I, I've done pretty good so far, and I haven't got too emotional or anything. But we we get there, and the stadium lights are all on, and so Michael's getting comfortable, and the, and the fire captain says. That's my motorhome over there. Nobody's in it if he wants to go there and hang out or whatever. And of course, he wanted to go in there and check it out, and he's going for all the drawers and whatnot. Anyway, so now the fire, the lights go down, the fireworks start, and everybody's oohing and on. And Michael decides he's going to walk over. He wants to walk over close to where the – and he's got, I don't know, six or eight people with him. There's friends of his. And he wants to walk over closer to where everybody else is at. And I'm like, I'm like no, you can't walk over. Now, I, I, I left out an important part here. He's actually – 
on the way over there because he was assuming he was going to be in a big crowd. They, the, this, this whole group of people got made up to look kind of like, uh, I don't know, Arab sheiks or something. <laughs> I don't know what, but it was like, they, oh, they're not gonna, they're not going to stand out in, in Lombok, California, are they? So he, so he walks over there. Now he stops before he gets beyond the area that's caution taped off. We're actually inside a restricted area. And he stops before he gets to the unrestricted area, and they all lay down there watching the fireworks. So I'm like, well, that's cool. That's cool. So I'm standing behind him, like I'm, I'm the only one there, you know, with him, and I'm, I'm, you know, think I'm just like, I hope nothing bad happens here because I don't know if I can handle this. So now the the fireworks stop, and I can see that those stadium lights when they first come on, they're real dim, and they have to, they're, I think it's mercury vapor, whatever it takes. So I'm trying to get Michael to get up and get back over away from this crowd, and uh, so finally, I mean, right as the lights come on full blast, he finally gets it. You know, he's he's perfect on that timing thing. And so we're now we're walking back, and there's two policemen that don't know who we are or what we're doing, walking towards us about halfway between us and the fire department's little command post thing. And I'm wearing, I'm actually wearing a firefighter's um, turnout jacket, and I'm not dressed like a like a sheik. So the cops approach me and go, uh, "Young, what are you doing?" And I'm like. I'm stunned for a minute. I don't know exactly what to say. The first words that I want to come out of my mouth, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting out of my mouth because I think this cop's going to you know, arrest me or something. I go, finally, I just said it. I go, uh, this is Michael Jackson. <laughs> and, they, and the cop looked at him, and he, I, I think he looked at his eyes, and Michael's got those eyes that I don't care how disguised he is. I mean, the, guy, the cop looked at him and went, okay. <laughs> he, let us, he let us go. So... Uh, <laughs> Moving on towards the end of the year, um, episode 109, just a few episodes ago, we had the wonderful chance to speak to Michael Trapson, who is an artist in his own right, puts together great music and, and videos that pay tribute to Michael Jackson in a very modern sort of way in his style. And it was fun to talk to Michael Trapson because he is a really, really funny guy. And uh, he has some great stories around uh, his recent productions on his Traps and EO video, which we're going to listen to in a moment, and also some great thoughts on, on Michael as the king of pop. I do want to add, this episode, I think, was a bit controversial for us, <laughs> because in terms of the feedback, I know some people do have mixed feelings about Michael Trapson and whether, you know, he said some potentially problematic things in the past. Can people really support him or not? And if you listen to the episode two, we get into all that. But I have to say, this episode really solidified my support of him and gave me all the context I needed to see that he truly is a fan deep down and he truly believes in Michael's vision and humanitarian work and positive messaging. And so this episode in particular, this chat made me a fan of Trapson. And I also, of course, love that he did Trapson EO. I'm a massive Trapson <laughs> completely agree with your sentiments there as we head into the clip, Elise. For me, this was the most surprising episode of the year, our most surprising interview of the year. I, you know, had seen a lot of his work before and his tribute stuff on, on YouTube and his songs that he did. And yeah, there was a little small element of the community that were maybe negative towards him, but the insight he gave and the depth of his consideration for Michael and what he does for Michael and also other tribute artists. This was my definite number one most surprising episode this year. 
Enjoy. Trapson, tell us about your production team and your role in that. You mentioned before that you, you do quite a lot in, in the production of the, the videos. So what goes in to producing a Trapson short film and soundtrack? The way I go about making these videos are that uh, I usually have a person, you know, a couple of videographers on set, uh, you know, hire some guys to shoot some videos. Or if, it, if it's like a, a big production, if it's like a little skit, I'll just do it on my cell phone or whatever, but... For something like Traps and EO, for example, you know, you get a couple guys out there with cameras, give them a synopsis of what the video is going to be, let them see the let them see the vision for it, and then um, we'll film it. I'll direct it. I have my boy Michael Donis. Uh, he played Scooter in Traps and EO, and he helped me write it, helped me direct it, because it's it's a lot of work, man. People see the video, they think it's all it's just fun. Him acting like Michael Jackson and all it's it's a lot of work. You got to get people to rehearse stuff. You gotta get people to get the angles right. You gotta get people to get outfits and locations and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, but uh, it's, it's it, that Traps and EO took about two years to finish. Uh, yeah, because well, well not straight, you know, I because I had to do other stuff in between. But I put it on the side for a while. It took me a year to film it just to get everything together. You know, stuff costs money. It ain't cheap. <laughs> uh, just to film something like that. Um, but yeah, so, stuff like Traps and Yo is a lot of effects in that video. It's a lot of acting, it's a lot of um, music, and a lot of dancing. So you have to we try to we try to combine two two films that was filmed around the same time and same era all into one little movie, and then you're trying to satisfy both fan bases, both the Last Dragon fans. Both Captain EO fans, you know, you got to hit certain beats so people feel like, oh, they're okay, they, they really, you know, try to do both, you know, all at the same time because you can't do everything at the same time. You can't give them the whole movie. You can't, it's not a remake of the movie. It's just, you're just paying homage to both of these films. But yeah, I, I do all my own editing, do all the sound design. Well, I don't create the sounds from, you know, scratch, but I'll, you know, find different sounds. I'll compose all the sounds together. And yeah, man, it's a, it's a pretty pretty uh precise uh process i mean i've watched a lot of your videos but the one traps and eo when i saw that recently i again i was so blown away by the quality of it um just in terms of the costuming the sound the lighting everything about it was just a triple plus standard quality uh it's incredible what you bring to the community and i think we're all very lucky to see see what you're doing talk to us about the journey of traps and eo a little bit more like when did you come up with the idea for it? What were some of the challenges you had as you were putting it together? Okay, yeah, there was definitely a lot of challenges. Uh, but the idea came from just being a kid. And I, every time I watched The Last Dragon, I've always felt like he reminded me of... Like, I always felt like Bruce Leroy reminded me of one of the Jacksons. He, he was... He kind of... He's reminded me, he reminded me of Michael Jackson a lot. He, was, he had a soft voice, brown skin, curly hair like a jury curl... He had the moccasins that remind me of the 1984 loafers that Michael Jackson wore during those during that time, and you can see his white socks. So I felt this guy kind of reminds me of Michael Jackson a little bit. And if you watch Captain EO and you and you you look at the behind the scenes, you realize that Captain EO was shot in 1985. Uh, Last Dragon came out in 1985. It's very similar eras, 
and then what what is what is Michael Jackson doing to Captain EO? He's fighting uh, you know, negativity with his music. He's using his music to change the world. And and then I'm tra I'm like with Travis and my whole theme is I got the glow, I'm glowed up, I'm all that. If you watch The Last Dragon, it's oh the man with the glow, Bruce Lee, where he got the glow. I'm like, that's perfect. What if Michael Jackson was the, was Bruce Leroy? What if Michael Jackson was in The Last Dragon? That's a good idea. I could do. I could actually do that now. And I could be the. And I and people say, I kind of like Bruce Leroy anyway in my face. So they like, yeah, you could be Bruce Leroy without even with Michael Jackson. You just be Bruce Leroy. I said, how about I be both? I'll be Michael Jackson and Bruce Leroy. You know what I mean? Be Michael Traps and EO. And and I said, you know what? When I get the glow, I can transform into Captain EO. And it was just, it was just one idea came after the other. And I was like, I'm about to mix all this stuff together. So yeah, I had to try to hit certain beats from both movies. Obviously, when you know Bruce Leroy sees a uh, show enough. Of course, we call him Glow Enough. And these, these people are all like, you know, first, these guys are all dancers that I found, you know, at uh, at little dance studios, just going around, you know, checking out just different just different vibes and stuff in Philly. Ran across these guys, ran across this, this tall six foot four dude who's just, who's just out there just dancing. And I'm like, wow, I'm looking at him I'm like, yo, I can use you to be, to be show enough. Put put some hair and makeup on him and this guy was good to go. All I do is give these guys a little direction and tell them, you know what we're doing, and they, they they just love what I'm doing, so they always be excited about uh, about doing these little projects. But uh, but yeah, the challenges for Traps and Yo, man, it was that first day was was hard. We thought we was gonna get everything done in the first day, and it didn't happen. Uh, like we basically only got half of we got half of we wanted to get done that first day. I had to rent this warehouse out. You know, you gotta pay for uh, what's called uh, uh, insurance. You gotta pay. You know, you gotta pay for these things. They're not cheap. So, but I guess the, the owner of the of the warehouse saw that I, he realized that I didn't get everything I wanted done. He saw a look in my face. I, like, d during, like, the last hour of filming, I was depressed because I felt like we wasn't going to get everything done. And I wasted all my money on my time. We still got a whole bunch of scenes of film that requires this one location. The owner was, uh, he saw, he saw my look in my face that I was, like, you know, kind of sad. So he was like, you know what, man? Just come back any day this week, man. You can finish anything you need to, you need to finish. So I was able to go back and you know, finish more scenes at that warehouse. That was that was God on my side that time, man, because I was like, man, I was depressed. I almost felt like quitting, you know? Editing the whole video took a lot of time because there's a lot, there's a lot of effects, and, you know, for, if you, I don't know if you guys know about editing, but you got to do some, certain effects. You got to do frame by frame by frame, and that stuff can take hours, and it's only me doing it all by myself. There's no big team or there's no, you know, office where this whole thing gets, you know, chopped up at. No, it's just me in my room and my mind and my hand on this computer, you know, ch chopping everything up over and over again, watching over and over again, doing the sounds and, yeah, trying to put it all together. I'm blown away because it's so big. I thought there would have to be, like, you know, editors and special effects people, like, coming in to, you know, you're paying, like, other businesses to do the special effects and, it's it's that big. I'm I'm just blown away. That's incredible, man. Yeah, I taught myself how to do all that stuff uh, for this project because I used to work on my actual laptop, and then I was like, you know what? I need something with bigger power, so I bought me a, a iMac computer, and I downloaded uh, Premiere, downloaded After Effects, watched tutorials on how to do all the special effects. So I was learning as I was doing this video. So this this it's not only a project, but it's also like a a learning experience. At the same time, I had to do all these effects, and I just wanted to make something that you know the MJ community could really be proud of. And you know, like I said, we don't have 
And that's that's the sad part about being a Michael Jackson fan is we don't have anything. Well, not that we know of that we don't know. There's no new. There's no new music that Michael Jackson can can record right now. Like Michael Jackson is not here to present us with anything that's like you know new in his own right. And I mean, the the state might drop something that was recorded twenty something years ago, and it'll be new to us. But Michael Jackson is not putting out anything anymore. So. I guess it's up to us tribute artists and us MJ fans to to kind of continue giving the community product, whether it's you got this this podcast right here or the show, the MJ cast, whether it was this, you know, you know, talking about Michael Jackson stuff, keeping people updated, uh, tributes that go out there and perform, you know, to give them that, you know, that uh, Michael Jackson experience. People who vlog and do, you know, have channels dedicated to Michael Jackson. All right, so episode 110, our annual Thriller Night episode. It was a a big one. It was a great discussion this year, and it was with uh, filmmaker Adam Green and my uh, editor friend Paul Black, and they came on, and the main discussion topic was Thriller and Ghosts, the films. But... These guys can talk. I don't even think you hear me in this clip because (laughs) these guys, I couldn't even interrupt them. So when there's conversation as rich as this between these people, I know, and I think we all know, we just do not interrupt and we just let it go. So here, Adam and Paul discuss Thriller and Ghosts and how it resonates now with hindsight and also they have a lot of personal insight into Michael and his art. And, yeah, this was a, another tough one to, to pull out of the episode. And it's a little bit – it's not a short clip, but you'll hear why. The beginning of, of Ghosts, like the first 10 minutes – and the end, especially Michael in the what I think is the Tom Snedden suit, uh, it, <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's, it's it's just spectacular and it's it's awesome. But Thriller is just, uh, I mean, perfect. Every single frame is just perfect. I think Ghost is all. I kind of look at a lot of the way Ghost came out. I, I can, it's just either in a way, it's purely from what Michael wanted to do, and often that didn't connect as well like back in the day with thriller it was like classic but this is the kind of stuff that michael evolved into doing and it reminds me a lot you know the breakdown in in moonwalker for smooth criminal where it kind of goes into that whole riff where they're all sort of like moaning and stamping and and everyone was like what is that that's so weird but that's so where michael's head was at creatively and that's the kind of vibe that he brought with ghosts as well and i think Maybe with Stan Winston directing, he let Michael just kind of run free to do what he wanted instead of really like trying to hone him in. Because, yeah, some of those sections in the middle with the dancers on the ceiling and the and the ghouls and everything is like, wow, this is really long. And you know how Michael was. He loved everything to be really long. You know, the intros to his songs by the time he got to, you know, like Dangerous and stuff, the intros were just like a minute long and stuff like that and extended outros and all that. And he just really liked to... Like he said, he liked people to be nourished by it. And that, if I had one sort of, yeah, criticism about ghosts, it would probably be along those lines in the fact that it is a little, like, excessive. Like, it, it, sometimes it just lingers on a little bit too long in some of those sections to make it as cohesive as something like Thriller, which is very 
tight and to the point and very sort of easily accessible. This is more a bit like Michael being creative and, and trying to explore new things and do all these ideas like he did with Dangerous and History in terms of the albums. It has that feel to it, as opposed to, say, Off the Wall or Thriller, where it was a bit more pure, I guess is probably the word. I think that Ghosts also, it shows Michael's real personality. Like it, it, yeah. You can see his, his childlike nature because it's yeah. it's literally anything he could think of they did and yeah. that it was written by Stephen King and yeah. and Michael and yet it's sort of it just goes all over the place I think I think you're right I think with Stan Winston directing Michael didn't have anybody butting heads with him so if Michael yeah. wanted to do it they did it and it is really cool because of that and it's there's more joy to to ghosts, it just it just looks like he's having so much fun. It was like I don't know. We'd seen a lot of short films slash music videos coming out over the years, but that was really, in my opinion, the first one that was of an epic scale since kind of Moonwalker or something. Like he'd done extended shorts, but all of a sudden he was back in that sort of game where he was doing it large and massive, and it was just like, wow, we're seeing like forty minutes of Michael here in a cinema. And Michael Jackson sitting behind me. No, but it was just like <laughs> unbelievable. It was like really cool. And to see Michael Jackson basically telling himself that he's a weirdo and we don't like you guys and you're a freak. And you forget sometimes that it is Michael as the mayor. And I assume most people have seen the making of Ghosts, but there's those awesome clips of Michael dressed as the mayor, and he's trying to explain the story and everything, and he's saying, and I'm not Michael Jackson, don't think I'm Michael Jackson, I'm not, <laughs> and uh, he just taught me a few moves, and he's doing the whole voice, and and he becomes that character, and it's just so kind of insane but amazing to just see how aware he was of everything that was thrown at him and he's just putting it back out there on the screen almost saying this is what people are doing to me this is what people think of me and it allows the audience to kind of feel sorry for him hopefully and and sort of go wow that that really isn't fair you know that really doesn't seem just i think that's what he was really going for this whole thing against bigotry and the whole thing and those kinds of people but the part where he actually says all right i'll go and he slams himself into the ground and basically and breaks his face apart and it and it's so like poetic but yet powerful and 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 just so meaningful when his face is falling apart which is almost like a play on, you know, the whole everyone says my face is this and it's falling apart and literally his face is falling apart and then he, he passes away and he, he's destroyed and that's so powerful. But I, I just remember at the premiere and various other screenings, some fans were so upset by that scene and one fan in particular came up to me and they were just destroyed and I couldn't understand because I was thinking, wasn't that awesome? And they said, look, that scene where he destroys himself, it just made me realize one day Michael will no longer be with us. And they just couldn't handle that thought. They just hadn't thought about it. So in a lot of ways, watching it now in amongst the fact that Michael has passed and seeing it through those eyes and what people did to him and the way he was treated and how aware he was of that, and also in light of everything that's going on, all the controversy, they're still doing it. And he was talking about it through his creative art back then. And yet right now you watch Ghost and you think, yeah, this is pretty much what's happening right now, even though he's no longer here and they destroyed him. 
There's a moment towards the very beginning when the mayor is just accusing him of, of being weird and scaring the children. And mm. one of the kids says, oh, do the thing where, and the other one hits him and says, no, that's a secret. Mm. And then the mom hits the kid and then the ghost hits the mom. Now, in light of these allegations and what everybody is once again falsely thinking, that moment reads a little bit more sinister. And I think him falling apart was more probably more just about that they could do that with effects now. But it's it's so poetic knowing mm. now where it would all go in his real life and mm. and how sad it is. But yeah, I I've, I watched it again this morning and I felt the same way as I'm sure those fans did who were in the cinema with you, where mm. seeing him smash his face apart, it's just... It's so sad that somebody so talented that was a gift. And I know this is where I, I lose some people and I sound like I'm like some sycophant and I, I, I'm not. And, and I don't mean to offend anybody who's religious. I'm, I'm not. But everything that he did with his life, it was emulating the story of Christ. Like he did all the things that we all say we're going to do or we're supposed to do. But he, mm. you know, he shared his wealth. He tried to save people. He brought the world together. He was the only thing that the whole world had in common, no matter where you came from or you know, your religious connotations, your sexual orientation, everyone knew him and loved him. Mm. And that's also dangerous because that's what we do. We, we have celebrities and we love them for a little while. It almost seems like society loves to watch them fall more mm. than than anything else. And Absolutely. He, he could never get out of that. And uh, something really sad that I hate to admit, I was at Disneyland when he died. I love Disneyland. I think, I think there's something wrong with you if you don't love <laughs> Disney. Um, but I, I remember seeing it on my phone, and the first thing I said out loud was, thank God it's over. And, mm. and I felt like ashamed that that's what came out of my mouth, but it wasn't going to get better. It, it just yeah. wasn't. And, you know, we all wanted to see the comeback of this is it. We wanted to see truth prevail, but in the world of social media and like this witch hunt happening, I mean, the dude's dead and mm. he's still the main target. What you just said really strikes a chord with me because I was... Like I was at the memorial in 2009 and one of the things that I think it was Reverend Al Sharpton said was maybe now they will leave you alone. Mm -hmm. And when he said that in the presence of the family and Michael's casket and all the people in that arena, you just thought exactly the kind of thoughts that you, you were just saying when you found out. It's like you just felt, yeah, it's almost like, thank now, God. It's now over. you can be at peace. Now you finally. can be at peace. And maybe now they will that. leave you alone. And what really breaks my heart now is that I, oh, I constantly think back to, that, to those words. Maybe now they will leave you alone. And then 10 years later, no, you know what I mean? It's, it just, uh, yeah, I don't even know what to say. It's just like, what the hell, you know, like seriously. Anyway. Part of the, the reason why we did that episode of the movie Crypt, knowing that in extreme circumstances, it could ruin our careers and make us unhireable you know I, I didn't I never really thought it would go that far but mm -hmm. just knowing that we were bringing a target on our backs was that I think we all 
whether we have ever thought about it or not, but we all feel an obligation to his children to protect them. I, you know, I think about it probably too much, but knowing that Paris was having a hard time, and I don't know Paris, I've never met Paris, I don't, I don't need to necessarily ever meet Paris, but I see the things that people say to her, and I think, can you imagine being that age? It's hard enough, but what she gets put through particularly, and I said it to Taj in that episode, like if I can just take one of those punches for him, like I'd be happy yeah. to do and the same people that are bullying them, if you look at their profiles, they have things like hashtag stop bullying or like they, they don't even know what they're mm. doing. And, and yeah. then if someone, God forbid, does hurt themselves or kill themselves, then it's this big outpouring of we need to listen to each other and like, you know, call this number if you're feeling like do it now. Don't yeah. do it then. But, and people people don't always realize the effect that they have on others by what they're doing until it's too late, which is a shame. But some of the stuff is obvious. You know, you can see people like Michael dealt with so much throughout his entire career, and he was clearly aware of it, even expressing it through his art, like with ghosts. Obviously, the big things you get, but even all the little things, it's like you just never know how even the littlest comments or things can affect somebody. And when you're somebody like Michael just dealing with that every corner, every turn, you put yourself out there in the world, you become so well known. And I guess in a way, he, he always said he had rhinoceros skin. He had to put up with so much and he somehow managed to get through most of it. But that's kind of one of the other things about, about the ghost film when it came out was we were so used to seeing Michael come out and say, I'm Michael Jackson, I'm magic, I'm amazing, look at what I'm doing. And we'd be just like, yes, that's amazing. And it was like he was self-promoting how incredible and awesome and cool he was as an artist and an icon. And you're just going, yes. But then all of a sudden here he was saying, I'm a freak, I'm a weirdo, I'm this, and, and, I, and I should be, you know, like he's basically persecuting himself on screen for his art. And it, we just weren't used to seeing Michael actually put that into his work in that way i mean in a way through the history album but you know what i mean like through that whole era it was just like wow we're seeing this whole film where he is almost persecuting himself to try i guess bring awareness to what how we should behave like you said earlier people should like michael said you know we shouldn't say we are jesus or whatever but we should emulate and try and do the right thing I think that's what Ghost was about in a lot of ways as well, trying to say, look, this is how you treat people and maybe you should have a bit of a think about why we treat people this way and why people who are different and why we can't just be a little bit more understanding and respectful of differences and all that. So, yeah, it's a pretty powerful piece of work in that regard. It's one of the biggest differences between Thriller and Ghost, if mm. you look at his eyes. The Michael in Thriller had no idea what kind of pain and suffering he was in for whereas mm. michael and ghosts had now been accused of the mm -hmm. most horrific thing well really anybody can be accused of but him especially it's like it to accuse him of uh, of harming the very thing that he lived for mm -hmm. uh, and was you know only trying to help and say and the only reason he agreed to let bashir do that terrible documentary was because Bashir said he was going to help him promote his International Children's Day, which is nowhere mm. to be seen in that, mm -hmm. in that <laughs> final documentary. It's so sad, and I hope 
just like the stories, whether they're made up or real or whatever, from biblical days all the way through whatever books came out last week. Uh, you know, there's stories that are there for a purpose and we're supposed to learn from them. And it feels like when he passed, you know, I remember at the memorial seeing all these signs that said, on behalf of the world, we're sorry. Mm, yeah. And, and thinking maybe now it's, you know, it's finally over and we're going to learn from this and we're not going to do this to anybody else. But then you saw them doing it to Britney Spears. You saw them doing it like they just, they can't mm -hmm. get enough of seeing Mm. famous people who they you know they society assumes that these people think they're invincible and so they want to see them mm. hurt they want to see them fall i think it's michael's like the response to the bashir documentary they came out with the what you didn't see behind the scenes with michael's cameras of that interview yeah i think it's at the very end there's a there's a there's, there's a question that bashir throws at him and he says do you sometimes despair for humanity or something like that and yeah. and it's, and Michael just says, yeah, I absolutely do. He says, no matter what you do, no matter how good you be, no matter how much you try and do for the world, no matter how much positivity and how much goodness you're trying to bring, there's always some jerk that tries to bring you down and tries to like be critical or negative. Uh, and I just I love that little clip because it's just so true and so now it's like. Yes, I'm. I despair for humanity with everything that's been going on in the world and the Michael world. It just seems like we're ne never going to learn. People are never going to, you know. Everyone has good intentions, but it just seems like people just can't seem to realize what they're doing until it's too late. And it, it, yeah, I think you know, to, well, look to despair for humanity is pretty pretty important right now. In a way, it's like that's where yeah. we're headed. Well, there we go. There are our highlights from the year. What a year it's been. I, I would say, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but for me, season five definitely feels like the best season we've ever done. Agree. Yep, for sure. Because of the content, the content. We Maybe we didn't have as many episodes this season, but I think the caliber of guests, the content in discussions that we've had on the show with people and shared number one absolutely i fully agree and you know everything this year as i already said was a crazy roller coaster and i think mm. if we rewind ourselves back to late january i don't think any of us knew how this season was going to go <sighs> really uh, <laughs> we, had our ups we, we were <laughs> on tender hooks yeah it was a little scary and things were just flying all over the place and we had no idea. We were like releasing episodes before the season started. It was it was crazy. But yes, I mean, we ended up pulling together this incredible season which with such a range of different types of stories and perspectives on Michael Jackson. And these episodes have come to be some of my favorite, I think, of the whole life of the podcast. So bravo to you guys. I mean, incredible job. You guys are amazing hosts. And you brought on amazing people, and I could not have loved this more. Thank you. I think you'd probably agree, Jamin, that we 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 really worked hard to do that because we could have got bogged down in leaving Neverland bullshit for the entire year, and it would have just been so depressing. But we worked hard early on to get on top of that and to 
help people with tools and direction of how to navigate this year. And then we all as a team felt very strongly that we shouldn't let that derail our our episodes, our season going ahead. We didn't want it to overtake everything and drag us down like an anchor. We really wanted we really wanted to work hard to get the focus on what was important and not get too distracted by all this and just keep on mission and get those important stories told those discussions that are not only entertaining but important to have with with guests with friends and i think we really did consciously work hard to keep this uh ship sailing ahead through the icebergs and everything and um it paid off in the end yeah i I totally agree the thing i'm most proud of about this season is how we were able to navigate leaving neverland early on like you said and then rise above it to, uh, you know, I, I think the the antidote to these allegations, to these, uh, to leaving Neverland and all of that is is Michael's true art and his true person. And, you know, like Michelle Obama says, when they go low, we go high. And that's what we did with this season. Nice. We, yes. we came out and we said, and you know what? We got people on the show that knew Michael Jackson, the artist, that knew Michael Jackson, the person, and we presented him like he is. And that's what I'm most proud of. And a thought that just crossed my mind as well, actually, is every person that we've spoke to that uh, maybe worked with Michael, uh, worked at Neverland or had some pretty deep interactions with Michael, when people come out with these bullshit allegations and stuff, it's not just against Michael because really they are saying that every person that worked with Michael was culpable in letting this happen, that they are also guilty in the fact that they are covering this up or they ignored it. But every single person we've spoke to have been quite vocal that if there was dodgy stuff happening, they would have reported it to the police and dobbed him in. And that's something that the media also love to ignore. So just keep that in mind. Absolutely. So yeah, it's been a great season. I've absolutely loved it. I think we've come really far as a team. And I think, um, like we've said before, even though there'll be some changes next year, which we'll probably get into later in this episode, for me, season five represents the um, totality of what our collective vision has been for the MJ cast leading up to this point with the correspondence and the segments and the interviews and the music and everything. I think we got the show to the best it can be in terms of our collective vision. And I'm really proud of, of where we've been able to get the show. Uh, it's been a really great, great season. I've, I've loved it. All right. So, you know, we are going through an evolutionary period at the MJ cast because not, not because of what has happened with leaving Neverland this year. Um, nothing really to do with that, but because of the fact that, um, it is a big deal putting this show out. Like it, it is, it is really. Um, I know we put a show out every once, you know, once every two to three weeks, but I, I don't think our listeners truly understand probably how much time it takes to put these episodes out. You know, it starts with people like Elise working in the back end, um, getting, you know, sourcing guests a lot of the time. And we all do that, but Elise, you've taken a real lead role with that this year, which I've appreciated. And it starts with sourcing particular guests to bring them on, scheduling 
times where we can all get together. That in itself takes ages just to align all our schedules. Uh, you know, then shows transition to us brainstorming what they can be about and scripting questions and show notes and then actually doing the call itself, which takes at least two to three hours to actually do the call. Uh, often some things happen with those calls that don't work out so well, so we have to go back and re-record or edit to fix them up and do pickups. And then the actual editing process itself takes often an entire day every two weeks and then releasing two takes hours to promote. This one's going to take you a lot longer than a day to edit together. And then Q, your role kicks in where it's all about the promotion cycle on social media, which itself takes a huge amount of effort out of your time. And so in in you know, at the end of it, the these shows have grown into humongous productions to do in addition to being um, you know, to having our own professional lives. We all work full time. I have a family with a daughter that takes up a lot of my time and it's uh it's it's honestly the truth of the matter is that putting these episodes out in the frequency and depth that we do is is unsustainable and it's taking its toll on my um on my family life and and different things so we there need there's needed to be a shift for quite a while probably the shift we were already talking about the shift a while back uh and I could feel like it was coming but um with leaving neverland happening at the start of this year we all felt as a team that we it didn't you know we needed to continue um with the way that we were doing things and, and do it better than we ever had. And I, I believe we have done that this year. But um, there needs to be a change to make the show sustainable moving forward. And that's what's going to happen. And Q, do you want to talk about that a little bit more and, and, and what we're doing? Yeah, got fired. Jamin fired me. <laughs> I did not fire you. <laughs> 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 oh my god! No, I was uh, coming along and making things uh, way more complicated for Jamin, whose job was already humongous, and we introduced uh, a lot of extra work for Jamin and piled that workload on and on and on and bigger and bigger and bigger. And next season forward, Jamin's uh, sort of workflow and everything, we're really simplifying it. So I took this opportunity to step out and step back. So I will be back as a uh, guest host, I guess you could call it, uh, in the future on a handful of episodes, but I won't be here full-time as a team member any longer. And hopefully that will help Jamin's workflow with less stress and less complications and less less uh, projects that we sort of would love to do, but we just don't have the um, facilities, I guess, for lack of a better term, to actually implement those. So, yeah, it's been an amazing five years. And thank you very much for the opportunity, Jamin. I'm very grateful for the platform that we've built together. And... Yeah, it's it's been a huge journey and at the end of it, I think we're all different people. We've all learnt so much, not only about each other but also about ourselves. I want to say thank you for, I think it's given a lot of confidence to myself. Like I was very unsure and nervous about this. Like none of us really like listening back to our voice. <laughs> you know, you go, oh, my God, no, I hate my voice. I hate my voice. And I... I was like that, but I think doing this show has actually given me a lot of 
self-confidence in myself and I'm really appreciative of that and also just of having the chance to share not only my story, which is very small, but also a lot of other people's stories and to shine a light on a lot of really important stories and people. So, yeah, next season, sound a bit different, but it will still be a great show. And I know that uh, Jamin is not going to let you down with the content that he's already got in mind. No pressure. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. But um, a little later in the show, we'll probably talk briefly uh, about what next season's going to sound and feel like so that you guys aren't wondering what's it going to be like. We can talk about that.
Hi, this is Tito Jackson of the Jackson 5. We wish everyone a happy new year and a Merry Christmas. For now, what I really want to do is uh, I would love to ask my co-host Q a few questions uh, about his time here because I think we've got uh, some interesting things to learn from Q. And Elise and I, we're going to split these questions up. And Q, sorry to say, you have seen the, the questions in advance, but I've just added two more in and you, that you'll be fine with these. Don't worry there. The nice oh, little what? questions you'll be able to do. The first, are they the in the first, one note? They are now in the one note, so you can preview them quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, we're gonna we're gonna kick off with a, a little mini interview with Q around uh, his reflections as time as co-host of the MJ Cast, and and I'm gonna ask the first question. I've just come up with it right now. You haven't seen this one yet. But at what point, <laughs> at what point in our first season? Because I remember in our first season we did an intro episode where it was just me talking about, you know, we're doing a test episode. Then we did episode one, which was our our first ever news episode. Then we did an episode with Charlie. He was on episode two. And then things kicked into high gear with some pretty interesting guests coming on board. So at what point in our first season did you realize that the MJ cast was going to be just a little bit more than a short-term fan project? I don't know if I ever anticipated it being a short-term projects like I never thought oh we're going to do one season and that will be it I I think I sort of gone into this thinking of the long game right from the start but I think maybe when we got Darren Hayes that changed gears for me thinking wow this is like legit this has the potential for as someone as high up as Darren Hayes talking to us, we could actually reach for the stars. And I think we did. Yeah. Yeah. I I felt the same way. I was so nervous when we talked, (laughs) when we got Darren and then Taj in that first season, I was so nervous. Did you feel nervous too? Yes, very much so. Hugely, hugely. And, And I think that has changed through the seasons. Like that's the confidence thing. I was like, no, I can do this. Like we we did some big stuff early on. We can do this and it comes out really good. So I think even season one, like that was big, big confidence builder. I can't imagine there was ever a time when you guys were nervous because you just do all this so naturally now. It's amazing. Super nervous. <laughs> even just talking to Charlie. Oh, my God. I was so nervous to talk Charlie. Yes. <laughs> Why don't we move on to the next question? Hugh, can you tell us what you are most proud of around your time at the MJ cast? I think two things come to mind, bringing fans together, whether that be with us uh, listening to our broadcast so that they know that they're not alone out there or in conjunction with that um, communicating with us and other MJ fans online with social media or meeting other fans in real life at MJ events or catch-ups. Like MJ friendships, are they're quite special, and I'm proud to have had a teeny tiny little influence in helping encourage some of those. So that would be the first thing. Uh, second thing. Can I just jump in there, Q, and say not only yeah. have we brought friendships together, I'm not going to drop names, but I know of people <laughs> that have actually got together 
together because of the MJ cast. <laughs> what? That's so cool. Yeah, we'll talk about it later, but I know. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. We've been responsible for some, uh, yeah, some, some. Oh, some that's cool. L O V E. <laughs> Yay! That's pretty cool. Um, now I've got to remember. Um, second thing. Second thing. Uh, uh, well, of course, the amazing content that we've brought so much insight into Michael uh, as a person, as an artist, vastly underrated content that doesn't really get the mainstream attention it deserves, I might add. Like I'm still really shocked that there hasn't been maybe websites or magazines or something that haven't actually picked up on a lot of the detail we've had in interviews. That still sort of surprises me. So, yeah, I'm so grateful that I got to help shine a light and illuminate those incredible stories and chronicles from those that were right there with MJ because we've really learned so much. And Q, let's be real, you know, it hasn't always been a smooth sailing process for the past five years, like any close-knit group of people working together and, and on something such on such a larger scale, it... Uh, it has its challenges. So what, what would you say in the past five years has been the biggest challenge of working on the MJ cast? Sacrificing time with people, I think, and us not having the resources to bring all of our ideas into reality for the broadcast. What sort of ideas? Social media promo stuff, maybe graphics, like, visual graphic stuff to use. I've been a little bit disappointed when we put out a call for real assistance from listeners that we never got the sort of stuff that we'd hoped for. Stuff like that. Thank God for Elise. Oh my God. <laughs> Holy moly, Jamoli. Holy yeah. moly. <laughs> and, and some other people too. We, I mean, some of the people who have actually been stepping up with some of our requests, like with our ongoing ebook project. Um, the ebook thing, definitely. The transcribers for that, for yeah. sure. Definitely. That's, yeah. yeah. I, I've not had a lot to do with that. So that's, I know that that sort of slowly chugs along in the background because it is a massive job. But just yeah. with the stuff that I was sort of personally involved with. Oh, yeah, totally. But I have no idea how you guys were doing this as a two-person team. It's hard even <laughs> a three-person team. I didn't have a kid. <laughs> That's how we yeah, were doing it. Well, there was that. <laughs> <laughs> and you lived in the country where there was nothing else oh, for you yeah. to do. <laughs> that is yeah. true. I remember. <laughs> Your life yeah. is so different now, David. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. You were talking earlier, Q, about thinking of all like the details we get into in our episodes and our interviews. Can you tell us about what you've learned in any of our interviews you've done that's truly shocked you? Has there been some big moment that changed your perspective? There wasn't really. And I actually had to ask in our little group text chat, actually, like, guys, can you remember any times I've been really sort of shocked and surprised? And you did come through with some great answers that I was like, oh, yeah, I do remember that now. Probably some of the insight from Vincent Patterson about maybe the religious iconography in the MTV 10th anniversary performance 
I think there was also a story from him on set where there was like someone had been stabbed or injured in the gang and they were like bleeding onto them. They were like up above them and there was like stuff dripping down and that was just crazy. Stories of the extent of Michael's charity and humanitarian efforts at Neverland from Big Al. It was the first Tars Jackson interview we had when he spoke about film projects that Michael had long-term plans for, like the Invisible Man film project that no one ever talks about because no one really knows about except for what we heard in our episode with Taj. I think we all together have always loved hearing about Michael's sense of humour, like that reaction Michael had to the Bill Clinton joke. Do you remember <laughs> that story? Yes. Yes. So oh. there was that one that I remembered as well. But, yeah. So thanks for your help reminding me of some of those because I was like, I can't really remember anything. But I don't think there's anything that's been really, like, shocking in a negative way. Five years is a long time to be um – talking about one dude and uh, <laughs> every two weeks. And I know you've had a fan appreciation of Michael Jackson that's extended back way before that five years. Like you were a fan since really the dangerous era onwards. Within this five years, we've had the chance to talk to a lot of family members and collaborators and people close to Michael with their own insights. And, and from talking to those people and with other fans, has your view of Michael Jackson changed or evolved? And if, if it has evolved, how? I definitely think hearing firsthand accounts from Michael's friends and uh, colleagues and family members has helped humanise Michael a lot more for me, definitely. He was an amazing artistic genius in so many fields without doubt uh, and he was a great man with a truly good heart and um, mission to bring happiness and love but he was a human man flawed like all of us uh, who made bad decisions and judgment calls as we all do but also he made great ones and he had a sense of humor but then he could break like us as well so I think definitely the humanization of Michael has definitely increased after learning so much about him I think that's such a good point and I think that's really the thing in mainstream culture, at least, that we've really lost since his passing, and especially with like how the estate handles things, is that focus on him as a human being. And I think that, you know, the interviews like you and Jamin have done have brought that forward. And we're practically, again, at least kind of in terms of looking at mainstream culture, we're one of the only groups that I think is really doing that on a consistent basis. So I'm incredibly proud of that. Going forward, I think I know the answer to this, Hugh. <laughs> Do you worry about anything in terms of Michael's posthumous legacy moving forward? <laughs> yeah, you know my answer. I have very little to no faith that the state executors hold Michael's artistic legacy in high regard. I think that they're, and, and I guess mainly Branker, who I feel holds the control I think his income from legal representation and court drama is probably bigger than what he gets from the MJ estate. And he has zero regard for Michael's artistic and humanitarian legacy. And I believe that Branca has zero respect for Michael's children. 
and the Jackson family, even Mother Catherine. He's just an awful, horrible man who only cares about himself and the money he gets. And yeah, that's yeah, that's just speaking honestly. What about the allegations in particular? Do you, you know, moving forward, do you, do you think that Michael's legacy is still strong and safe? No. No, I think this year we've seen how, uh, I guess, easily in a way that the public can be fed stories and that they will just run with it. I think yeah. that was already sort of the groundwork was already there with people having their own perceptions and misconceptions and not understanding or knowing things about, you know, like the settlement in 93 and stuff like that definitely don't think there's like a stable ground to move forward on and i think this is the long game like i came to the realization that this might not happen in our lifetime that michael gets the respect that he deserves and it could be generations in the future that go what the hell did they treat this man that way for Mm. so with that in mind um the estate does hold the keys they do hold the power what do you think they should do next or what do you hope they should do next? That they should actually do something that gives a damn about Michael and his art and legacy. I won't hold my breath. So on a more personal note, how has your relationship evolved with team members of the MJ cast? Tell us a little bit about your dynamic with, with the two of us now that the pressure's on. <laughs> well, I guess like Jamin and I were really just acquaintance friends before this. We were like, we were friends through other friends like Damien and Marnie and and TJ. So um, I guess the evolution is that it's brought us a lot closer together. Like I've been, you know, I've met his family, I've been to his house and we catch up if I'm in Brisbane and I'll see you in February when I'm over there for Eurovision Australia decides at the Gold Coast. It's, definitely changed our friendship from online acquaintance friends to uh, like a personal friendship. Uh, And then you've just popped up out of the blue, Elise, a couple of years ago. And then (laughs) (laughs) we've got so much in common and, you know, we chat in text messages and on Twitter and stuff uh, and as well as these calls. And definitely when I get to San Diego, which will happen at some point, We'll be catching up in person. We can go to Disneyland. Oh, my gosh. Yes, there would be that. That would be <laughs> super awesome. fun. And by then, Rise of the Resistance will be open, and that looks amazing. For you guys, that's it. But it's also introduced me to so many other amazing people that I'm now friends with around the world. Like, so many. You've been in charge of the MJ MJCast social media on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everywhere for, for five years. And tell us how that has been in particular. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> as exhausting, as rewarding, as uplifting and empowering and the ridiculous and disheartening. And all of that's just from inside the MJ fam. All of these things, I guess, were present in online forum days, like we spoke about in the last episode, 112, with Marnie and Bjorn and Raj, who we sort of all used to use forums and message boards. So all those things were sort of present back then. But in social media, it's a lot more conversational and you're exposed to it 
all the time in comments on Instagram or YouTube and tweets and Facebook and stuff. So, yeah. But I guess what I would say to people is my advice for MJ fan would be because you sort of come across so many different kinds of people and some of it's really disheartening. So I would just say to some people, don't be apathetic about stuff. Don't just sit there and be the quiet fan. You have a voice and Michael taught you to have a voice. So just use your voice. And if you see bullshit, just call it the, we should have done like a, a thing at the start of a lot of our shows where Q's going to swear today. So maybe if you've got children, <laughs> we've got an explicit tag. <laughs> I know, but I know there's young people that live, but like, if you see bullshit out there, call it the fuck out for what it is. People, whether it be death hoax bullshit or people who claim to be close to Michael when they were really just fantasists or actual fraudulent activity, like fake MJ songs or fake autographs or merchandise or people making false allegations from Michael to fund their own desperate and broken lives like we've seen this year. These things should anger you. These things should really make you angry because they're people taking advantage and making money off Michael's name and damaging and doing stuff in negative ways And people always like, oh, you know, the Jacksons are trading off Michael's name or, you know, these book authors are trading off Michael's name and making money off Michael's name. It's like, no, 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 you should be supporting those people and really actually angry at the bad people. And so often that that just doesn't happen. And if you sit there and ignore stuff like that, then to me, and this is just me, because this is an opinion show and a talk show, and this is my opinion, then if you just sit there and ignore that, you're not much better than the person that is doing something negative. I think also social media has made me be aware that people should be actually maybe a bit educated and look into stuff and learn about Michael and what he said and respect veteran fans' experience and knowledge like people that have actually experienced Michael mania when he was alive and albums and dramas and campaigns and that people can learn from these fans experience and trust in their experience. And also in Michael's own words on things like he gave a lot of insight into stuff. And there's so many fans that tend to ignore actual Michael's own words People will need to use common sense sometimes and stop falling for stupid bullshit fantasy stories from scam artists online. Like (laughs) Catherine Jackson isn't using Instagram to sell merchandise and memorabilia to fans for fuck's sake. Like just (laughs) use some common sense people. There's a lot of people that just get taken for rides and, advantage of and I was like please if you had just actually thought about it and used common sense you would not be in this position mm. um but then on the flip side I guess social media you know it has a lot of benefits and it's got the word social in the name so be social interact with people you know and that means 
being respectful to nice people and welcoming and excited about the decades of amazing stuff Michael gave to us through his hard work. Go and make fan friends, especially local ones that you can safely meet up in a group at a cafe. You know, don't don't lock yourself away in a dark room because guess what? We're all as shy and awkward and as awesome as each other. Like no one is actually going to remember you flubbing your words when talking about how much you love the black or white video. No one. <laughs> They're not. So just, just take the step and go make friends because then in times that you need it, you've got support. And I would, I would see, I don't know, I see a lot of people and I'm just like, oh, I just wish you would be yourself and not try to be the next Michael because you are good enough as you are. Just, but just be you. And social media has made me realise like if you don't want people to think of MJ and MJ fans as crazy people, don't act like a crazy person. Like you see that and it's like people won't take you seriously if you are acting like a crazy fan that can't see things with clear glasses. I think that's a big thing. I think we learnt this year that we should really support each other, not only in like when you need it, but also maybe content creators out there. Like content creators should support other content creators and be open to opportunities to lift each other up and cross promote your content with each other. I think that's something we've tried really hard to do right from the start is support other content creators. And we've hit some roadblocks with people that just want nothing to do with supporting other people in the community. And that's been, that's been, I was not expecting that at all, for sure. To my online Canadian crew, to our <laughs> live tweeting queen that I've loved reading every single one of those live tweets of our episodes and reviews, to our Janet cousins, to desert Viking bikers, to bearded <laughs> Scotsmen and lovely English chaps, to handsome Norwegians and Danish snacks and French fans and those fellow Aussie super fans who put in so much for Michael and his legacy to the awesome mums who are out there exhausted from work and kids, but still go and put hours of research and content creation for Michael to the dads out there that are so proud when their kids rock a MJ jacket to the LGBTQIA plus folk listening and chatting to me out there Y'all are not alone and don't let people who read a book and completely miss the whole point and message of the book and twist it into something hurtful against you and tell you that you that your love isn't perfect and normal because it is. To Mahil, who drove me out to the Dutch history statue, or Janneke of Jackson Source, who does so much for the family, but she still had time to catch up with me in the Netherlands to the thousands of others out there doing so much for Michael and the truth and to everyone else I chatted with over the years or who sent us gifts or amazing long emails that I read every single one of. 
actually, that reminds me, Jamin, our Netflix account is going to get cut off. So I need to reply with a whole bunch of our login details. And there's also been, there was, did you see the email? There's a company that's going to help us get to the first page of Google search results. I saw that. I yeah. Saw that. So <laughs> even though we're the number one Google result already, I better get back to that email as well. But thank you to all of those hundreds and hundreds of people. You've made the hard work really completely worth it with our connections and our conversations on social media. Wow. What an answer. Wow. Was that long enough? My God. That was good. I just want to, I want to piggyback off that before at least you do your one. Um, yeah. But I've got to, i got to say Q, um, something I really appreciate about you and social media is you have this freakish ability to be able to and and by the way listeners we get into some complex ass situations just saying like and i'm not <laughs> i'm not talking about just like with a, a random mj fan with 10 followers i'm talking about like you know an mj collaborator will say something that we strongly disagree with and then we've got to deal with them you know because they want to work with us but you know and that's just you know an example you know other content creators very complex situations where we have to manage relationships threatens of lawsuits from people that didn't like what we said about something in an episode even though we're an opinion show very very complicated things and q has this ability you have this ability to be able to take that situation and go hey wait i'm gonna handle this and you do you talk with them you you we talk internally as a team and then 99.9% of the time, those situations resolve peaceably and we go back to normal and it's all good. And I just know if I was in charge of those situations, it'd be, (laughs) (laughs) the show would be shutting down. (laughs) So I I really do thank you for your ability to be able to (laughs) just handle crisis moments and calm me the hell down too. So. How many crisis calls have we had over the years? <laughs> Too many to count. But I'm, you know, if you get those again, you can just go Q, screen cap, screen cap, screen cap. What do I do? And I'll go, okay, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. I'll still help. And Q, I want to actually add to just briefly that to say that for as many hundreds and hundreds of messages as we, we get on social media and in our email, and everywhere else, I'm, um, and I get overloaded with them sometimes. I try my best, but sometimes I'm just like, I can't do the Twitter messages today. And <laughs> and you always manage to answer every single email and message and tweet. No. In well, but not but but in a not everyone. And I feel bad well, for the ones that I haven't. But I just well, want people to know that, that yeah, they there's are, one listener every single out there one crying. I didn't get it. There is. <laughs> And but just that crying one, let, let just let them know that I, we have I have read every single thing. Well, when so. the ones you do get back to, you always respond with such genuine heartfeltness, and it, it it always amazes me because sometimes I'm rushing through and just trying to kind of get acknowledgments to people, and you just always bring your complete heart to every single response that you do send. So that it totally amazes me and it's completely also i think um representative of who you are as a person and i just hope you know how much i appreciate that i do thank you but you do an amazing job as well oh well i i try but i have big shoes to fill keeping up with all that 
there. And people should be maybe prepared for next year that, you know, some of the social media interactions and stuff might be different because it's not going to be me. So maybe there won't be as much. Maybe it'll be more a promotional thing. So people should just maybe, you know, maybe not expect exactly the same kind of social media as in the past. That could change. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, we don't quite know how that will play out yet, but yeah, but people should be prepared. Yeah, and I and for example, like it's not that there won't be personal interaction; it might just be in a different way. Like for example, I personally much prefer to interact from my personal account uh, rather than the MJ Cast account because if there's just something about it, like I feel like I can be much more um, not authentic, but I can really put my own opinion in something if it's from my personal account rather than the MJ cast account. Cause I feel like I'm not from the MJ cast account. I'm representing a range of people, but my own personal account, you know? So uh, yeah, next year it might revert back a little bit to being more promo tweets, show tweets, news tweets, rather than opinion tweets. Maybe we'll see. Yeah. Well, jumping into, kind of giving our listeners a little bit of a glimpse into how the podcast actually works. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to actually record a major special episode? And then also um, can you tell us about the most challenging special episode you've done? Really? This was not in the question list. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like thinking, what's the next question? Because I think that will be a really short answer, but that was not what I was expecting. (laughs) That's the other new one. So So I'm not going to like super spill tea and name names, Jamin. I'm sorry. I'm not because the show's the show's ongoing. So I know. I know. know. I'm not. But there was an interview (laughs) where and it was it was an interview that was took us a long time to get over. And this was, I'm sure, a very lovely person. They had some issues like PTSD and maybe perhaps substance issues. I don't know. No judgment because they'd been through a lot. That was actually <laughs> multiple interviews, and they were all at least three hours long. Got them on the hard drive. Yeah, and we never got anything we could use out of it. And that was that was challenging in that way. So, so would you say, like, is it difficult then when we have – a question list or we have a direction we want to sort of go with an interview and then we get there with the person and then it's they have their own vision that they want to go with yeah and that's really only happened once in in, in like other interviews we've you know we've got a so when we do a special uh interview we you know we talk about who and we've got a wish list and the wish list will never be complete because we always think of new people or there's always people that we just haven't got time to talk to in like this season or the next season because there's so many stories out there that deserve sharing so we decide on a few and we chase after them and sometimes we hear from them and sometimes we don't no one's uh really Karen Faye you know she said no that's not my kind of thing I do all that sort of stuff on Twitter but I can't Brian Vibbits has said no. These are all respectful no's. Yeah, they have always been very respectful. But wasn't his like, no, not at this time? 
Yeah, he's said no, not at this time a couple of times now. So Yeah, which is, uh, uh, like, you know, there's been a number of people like, no, not at this time, but yes, thank you for thinking of me. So we've been really lucky in that regard. So when we actually lock someone in, then we have to we find availability, and that's always a challenge because generally they're in a different time zone that's completely opposite to us. Then we lock it in, and then there's the frantic, okay, questions. Let's get some questions. And, you know, maybe there's a lot of research that we need to do, like with a book or a documentary or something. So then we've got to look into that. And then we come up with our questions. Now we maybe cull the questions. And then we do a thing where we go, okay, well, what are the most important questions? So if someone is really pressed for time, and we're pretty open, we're like, they, they often like, oh, how long does this take? And we go, well, this is actually up to you because if you give really long answers, this could be really long. But if you give really short answers, it could be a really short interview. So it's always hard to give someone a time frame like, oh, this will take 20 minutes. This will take 80 minutes because we don't know how it's going to go with the answers they give. So we always sort of come up with a backup question list of like, these are the questions we need to ask. And if we have time, these are the other questions. And that's worked out pretty good most of the time that we'd get through everything. But there's been a few where there's been a handful of questions. Like I remember probably the biggest one is Aphrodite Jones, that there was like almost half an interview that we didn't get to ask. And we were very open with that when we did that. So then we record, we lock it in, we record it with the guest and generally it goes really smoothly. We've been very lucky with technical stuff. I know Charlie had some incidents when he did his World Music Awards special where he had to re-record interviews, but we've been pretty lucky. And then Jamin edits it all together. And that's actually just as big a job as everything that came before it. And... What was the other part of the question? Did I answer everything? You did. You did. But I want to know as well a little bit around like you have been open with me before in saying that you sort of prefer our regular episodes to the specials. Oh, is okay. That, yeah. Is that more because of the content of the regular episodes or because of like the experience of doing a special? Well, I'm not like the super nerdy, geeky, technical person that understands the production side of stuff and how music is made and stuff. For me, those are always more of a challenge, those interviews. So whereas a regular episode and just catching up with fans is a lot less pressure because I can relate to that a lot more. But then some of the special guests, like, for example, this year, Big Al was not really a technical behind-the-scenes music production guest it was something that I could really identify with in a way. And it's something that I was really passionate about. So it was a lot easier for me for that sort of topic. I like that we talk to people, though, that aren't just studio people. You know, oh, like we talk to 100%. Broad range. So. Yeah, because it really gives a full rounded picture of Michael. And that's yeah. so essential. If you could go back five years, what would you do differently if we could do all of this again together? So uh, this was, this is in contrast to my long answers. I just, <laughs> early on, we thought, I think we underestimated the size and the amount of work. So all I would really think is that we would try and get more help 
from earlier on with creative tasks to help the workload. That's the only thing I would do different. Yeah, I think I agree with that. It's uh, it, it, that is the reason things are changing is because of the the amount of creative tasks we have to do. And we did put that call out to people, you know, six months ago to see if we could bring some other people on board. And then some people were interested, and then that sort of fizzled out in terms of them wanting to commit. And so, yeah, it's it is hard. And and I think you're right. If if we broaden things out a little bit earlier on it might be different but even so like our personality well my personality type in particular is one where i, I do like to have sort of creative control over things so i don't i don't know With like if it iron fist out. yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know like i mean a lot of the teams that work really well together on different projects and this isn't just podcasting but in general in life you know i mean music and writing and in um in all kinds of different teams are small teams often that work really well because they can focus their energy on stuff. But For sure. Yeah. Small teams are easy to work with, definitely, but then that's a lot more work for that yeah. group. Well, I do think the chemistry has to be right too, you know? Absolutely. So, Hugh, moving just to your personal fan life, can you tell us what MJ stuff you're enjoying right now? Well, it's Christmas time, so the Christmas album – the J5 Christmas album, remixes when I come across those for the, like trying to find stuff for the show and just whatever comes up on YouTube. What else? Oh, yesterday I was at a local Perth MJ group catch up with fan friends. So Michael's music was playing there at the little party thing. That's about it. I saw those pics on Facebook and you were tagged in them, but I didn't see you in the pool. No, I did not go in the pool. <laughs> didn't have a swim? <laughs> no, I didn't have a swim in the pool yesterday. And I didn't have a Cosmo either, and they looked really good. Brenda, Brenda was making Cosmos for probably most of the people that were there, but I was driving. It was like, oh, like at least 45-minute drive. So, And I had to get home for dinner. And I was like, no, no, just go do, take a whole bunch of food up, catch up with people, and then get home for dinner. So, yeah, it was it was a good day. It was really good fun. Good to see everyone. Not everyone came, but the ones that did come was good. For a minute, I thought you, thought you meant it wasn't good to see everyone. <laughs> no, no, no. It's always good to see everyone. No, I know. Just not everyone came. <laughs> Q, it's, it's been a significant year. We've said it multiple times in this episode. It's been a tough year for the community in general. Have you got any advice for fans listening to our show moving forward? To stay strong because it is not over yet and it will never truly be over. So just um, stay calm and professional acting. Don't act like a crazy person and be steadfast with your facts and if someone is completely not open to accepting facts over how they feel, thank them for their time and move on because your time is not worth wasting on them. And I have a really, actually, yes, wear your MJ t-shirts and jackets out and about often and proudly. I don't think I've told this story yet. I think I've been saving it sort of in the back of my mind for like this Christmas finale episode, but I have a TJ story from when I 
caught up with him in Adelaide. And I think it was the last time that I actually got to catch up with him in Adelaide. So I'm going to tell it now because when I say wear your MJ t-shirts and jackets out and about often and proudly, this illustrates why. I was catching up with TJ in Adelaide. I was wearing my dangerous t-shirt, dangerous tour t-shirts, like the picture of the dangerous album cover before Cotton On pulled all their stock. I'm actually wearing it right now as I record this episode. TJ and I were just walking and talking a million miles an hour, jumping from topic to topic to topic because we just never seemed to cover everything we wanted to on our catch-ups. And it was early evening time and we were at a cross light ready to cross the road when they've got the little green man and we walked across the street and this lady came out of a restaurant when we crossed over and she came out and she said to me, she saw my T-shirt from across the road and she had to come out. She had to leave her sister at the table where they were eating dinner at this Italian place. And she just had to say how awesome it was that I was wearing a Michael T-shirt after everything that happened earlier in the year and that she worked in like child protective service sort of department. So she worked with children that had a lot of challenges or abuse and stuff like that. And that she knew that all this stuff against Michael was bullshit because these guys were not real victims and it was disgusting what they were trying to do. And that she was just so proud of me for being bold enough to wear a Michael t-shirt in that environment because it was earlier in the year. So it was sort of right in the thick of it and that she was just really happy to see someone out there supporting Michael. And TJ just stood there and his mouth was wide open, just in shock at what this lady was saying. And I was so grateful and we, you know, was thanked her and had a little chat with her and stuff. And it was just such a cool moment and, and TJ was just so, and we were both really, really surprised, but TJ was almost, almost speechless and just thanked her so much for coming out and sharing that with us because it was, it was a really pretty cool moment. And maybe there's people out there that they've worn their T-shirt and they've had like someone say something stupid to them. Let them say something stupid because they're the ones that are idiots. So Wear your MJ stuff out often. Love that. That's awesome. It's beautiful. And also, don't forget your lanyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not giving that back, by the way. <laughs> no, you get to keep that. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I am, I'm really excited to get to ask this question, and I'm going to ask it just as if this is a major special episode which it is. Uh, <laughs> Q, this is a question we ask every guest we have on the MJ cast. How should Michael be remembered? I don't know if we've ever done this question ourselves, Jamin. I have a feeling we may have back in season one or something. So my answer might not be exactly the same if we have asked each other this before, but this was actually, you know, tough to think about and go, hang on, well, I've heard hundreds of answers to this. What am I going to say? 
And we but, spring it on people. <laughs> and we spring it on people. And I already knew you were going to ask. So I, I would say Michael should be remembered as a good man with a true and a big heart. A man that was found not guilty, as declared in a court of law, and as a truly incredible artist singer, songwriter, dancer, filmmaker, fashion icon, father, and humanitarian. As someone who brought so many people together through his art and him as a good person and his good deeds. And also as a product of his truly unique life, but a blessing of this world that I will always be so grateful to have lived in his time. That still blows my mind that I lived in his time and that I've seen him in person and felt the aura of love and goodness that he projected out. And remember him as that when you Google the most beautiful smile in the world, and the pictures of him with that huge smile come up, remember him like that. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. That was was awesome, Q. Now, Q, this isn't really goodbye because, okay, you're stepping back from your duties at the MJ cast, but you're still going to be coming back on the show. Uh, Absolutely. A few times a year where we can continue to do special interviews with people. We can continue yeah, to you catch get up that LaToya our... interview locked in. Um, okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to be having our nerd fest chat still uh, catching up on the latest news. But um, in terms of people, cause I know people love talking to you. You're a great guy. We all love talking to you. If people want to continue talking to you and connecting with you online about MJ stuff or whatever, is there a place where they can do that? Okay, so for my social media folk, for all those thirsty folks online, you can find my OnlyFans account at, oh, no, 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 hang on. I mean Twitter and Instagram. Yep. So Twitter and Instagram at what was the Q, all one word. So they're new and I'm still figuring out what to post. So we'll see how that works out. So this isn't your private account. This is the place where you're going to be MJ nerding out and all that kind of stuff. Yes, I haven't done much of that yet. <laughs> MJ nerding out on those. I'm still trying to figure out what to post, but that will be me. It might not be safe for work. So who knows what <laughs> I'll be retweeting and stuff or talking about, just so you know. But uh, yeah, that's at what was the cue. I set those up because you were like, you're going to need something if people need to ask you questions and So I'm not going to follow every single person back and that's not a personal thing. It's just if these are accounts that I'm going to use the way that I use social media is I I use it the way so that I'm not flooded. My timelines that I'm thinking are not flooded with a million things that I don't need to see and I will visit accounts individually and sort of see what people are sharing and interact that way sometimes. So, yeah, I'm not going to follow every single person back and stuff like that, but that's where you can find me. Everybody, make sure you follow Q on those accounts for sure because we still want to hear from Q 
in the future, especially those awesome online Q rants. If something happens, the estate does something <laughs> crazy. You know, we gotta we gotta support Q there. So make sure you follow him there. What's the next chapter for Q? Uh, catching up with friends and nephews on Friday nights, having gin and tonics, and catching up on Friday nights. More hiking in nearby national parks when it's not too hot and things are not on fire. I really need to do more gardening. And I really want to read books again. I'm so embarrassed when I say that my reading has been steadily declining and I haven't even read a single book this year and that needs to change. Like I have a library. On the other side of this wall that I'm facing is a library in my house and I don't use it and that needs to change. So yeah, you've still got a week. You can really cram that reading in. You'll have read <laughs> this year. <laughs> well, I, Elise, I actually, I feel really bad because I keep forgetting this as well. I have been sent a book to do a book review for this show and I have not had a chance. They sent it to me and then I went away on holiday. I didn't even open a book on holiday. And then I had exams and then birthday stuff and things were just crazy. I have a book that I haven't even read and they wanted, they sent me a copy to do a review on the show. So I might have to send it to one of you guys. Yeah. Well, there we have it. That is our Q little interview there. And seriously, Q, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all of your just limitless contributions over the past five years. Without you, the show certainly wouldn't have grown to become what it is because the way we get new listeners is through social media often. You and how you've promoted the show on social media has just grown our listener base massively so uh, i certainly appreciate all you've done there i appreciate all of the guests you've sourced all of your wonderful opinions uh that you've included on the show but at the heart of it all you said to me once that the family you're born into is you know your family but you can also choose your own family in life Mm -hmm. and the people that you know and and you consider to be close to you and, and you lean on and um i'm so proud to call you my mj brother and my family, and um, we're going to continue doing lots of exciting stuff in the future, and I just want to say thank you for everything you've done for the MJ cast, and, and I just I love you so much. I love you too, Jamin and Elise and listeners, but yes, chosen family. You guys are a chosen family. It's very important, and like this has been a team effort right from before our first broadcast, Like, and that was with TJ and... Damien and it's always been a team effort with like the Charlie being a big part of so many important things and correspondence and just so many people have worked so hard but it's always been a team effort and it's been a pleasure and an honor so thank you to you both and to everyone else that has contributed and And just to add on everything that Jamin has said, Q, I also want to say that you've been such an amazing friend to me. I mean, when you guys took me on onto your team two years ago and didn't know me from Adam at all, (laughs) um, it was such an amazing thing for me. And from the very first minute, you were just so incredibly warm and welcoming. And I value our friendship so much and your support through everything. And again, just that, like I said earlier, that genuine heart that you bring to every single thing you do. So thank you so much. And I know that we will still 
be on the show together throughout, you know, this next year and hopefully beyond that too. So I look forward to whenever you are on the show. Um, but just really want to give you my heartfelt thanks. And, and also I certainly hope that our friendship will continue for a long time. A hundred percent. It will. No doubt about that, guys. Oh, gosh. Okay. Can we stop gushing now? This is getting... Okay. Good. No more gushing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. okay. Justice. Greetings, Hemeros, God of sexual desire, son of Aphrodite. Lay back and feast as this audio guides you through new and exciting positions.
Hi, this is Jermaine Jackson of the Jackson 5 of Motown. We wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. So Q, thank you so much for answering all those questions and for all these amazing reflections on five years of the MJ cast. Again, we love you so much and we look forward to what's in store next. Now we're going to jump into our Finds of the Week segment. And Jamin, I think you're going to start with what you have found this week to share with our listeners. Yeah, sure. So it's actually kind of similar to last episode's Find of the Week. I found some rehearsal footage from 1995 MTV uh, performance last time. And then this time I was on Instagram and uh, I randomly saw some rehearsal footage that I'd never seen before from Michael's uh, 30th anniversary concert. And this was posted on Instagram by at F-E-F-E-I-N-L-A. And it's the rehearsals for the, like I said, Madison Square Garden show in 2001. And uh, it's got some real similarities to that 95 one that I shared last time. Because again, it's Rock With You (laughs) on stage, which Michael never actually ended up doing. He also always seems to rehearse it and then never ends up doing it. But um, yeah, there's, uh, there's, he's not actually performing on stage. The, the band is playing the Rock With You music and he's walking around on stage up to the mic. But the, um, you know, he's, he's sort of interacting with uh, what seems to be a production manager on stage and he's walking around and the camera zooms right in on the orchestra section on top of the uh, stage so you can really see the ins and outs of how that was set up because the camera, the person filming it's right up, they must be sitting in the stands um, to next to the stage Michael's dressed in a um, sort of like a maroon red top and blue pants and uh, it is interesting in terms of just a uh, you know a documentarian point of view of what it was like at those rehearsals for that Madison Square Garden show and uh, I really hope one day we get to see a lot more of this um, maybe in some kind of a special edition package release of those shows with uh, some documentary footage about the making of but very very cool stuff and yeah, that's what I've been enjoying for the last week. Wow, I'm excited to see that. That that sounds cool. It's still weird to think Michael rehearsing because you you're so used to like this polished stage thing that you go, oh yeah, he had to do rehearsals. It's that's weird. why we rehearse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, mine I stole from the new stories because I had been thinking about your questions to me so much that I was like, oh my god, I forgot to do a find of the week, but. I actually had seen this on Twitter and I was like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. I think I saw it when the official Motown account had shared it, but I saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus gets a brand new official video in 2019, which is crazy. (laughs) This is an official video. (laughs) So Motown have put this out and it's a mix. It, It starts and finishes as like live action, like, professional live action really nice looking it's like in a in a someone's like a family's house it's a black family's house and it's decorated just beautifully for christmas and then it transitions in for the song part 
into like animation. And it's like, I think you've written here Hanna-Barbera style and it is, it's like Hanna-Barbera style animation, not like super Disney animation, but it's like a mix of Hanna-Barbera and some modern stylistic animation. And it's so unexpected. That's why I was like, what the heck is someone putting out a video, let alone Motown for this Christmas song from so long ago. And it's a delight. It's just good fun. Share it on your Facebook and everything for Christmas people. There'll be a link in the show notes. It is a lot of fun. It kind of reminds me of the animation style too of like the Grinch a little bit. Mm, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> My find of the week is just a really fun one. I randomly on Instagram came across this guy named Miguel Wilson. I will have a link to his uh, website in the show notes. He's a toy designer and product developer, and he is also a really big MJ fan. And so he's this amazing artist, and he has done a ton of MJ-related art. And he also has some MJ-inspired art products for sale. So if you like any pop culture-inspired, really, really fun, interesting, full of personality art, you should definitely check him out. He also has like Back to the Future stuff. He has a bunch of Star Wars stuff. He's got all kinds of things, but his Michael Jackson stuff, he has a whole Captain EO collection, which again is like my favorite thing in the world. I love it so much. And you don't see it really that often. And he also has a really fantastic thriller shirt available for sale um, that is just a super stylistic kind of cartoony, but very, very cool image of MJ as the, you know, cat werewolf person. And he's got some other stuff too. So check out his website. You'll probably enjoy a bunch of other stuff too. He also has like a Prince toy. He's got, he's got Infinity War stuff here. He's got all kinds of cool, fun stuff if you're into the pop culture stuff. Cannot wait to see this. I love it. Oh, actually, that's so funny. I was just looking at the website for another minute. And he also has a, I actually forgot about this. He has a, uh, action figure. I don't think you can buy it. I think he, one he made is like an art piece called Space Knights of the Retroverse and it's Captain Jackson. Oh and it's God. like super like Hulk version of Michael Jackson wearing the beat it jacket. It's really interesting. <laughs> That's cool. I wonder, I wonder, I really want to click on this and I'm so scared it's going to no, screw up no. my recording. Don't <laughs> do it, you. So that's my find. Great finds. Go check them all out. We will always have all links in the show notes so you can find anything we are talking about. Just go there. Those show notes also will show up in any app uh, you are using to listen to our podcast, as you should be, because that's the best way to listen to it. And now we're going to get another update from one of our fantastic correspondents. This comes from Yannicka over at Jackson Source. Yannicka, take it away. Hi, this is Yannicka. I would like to say thanks to Jamin and Q for having me on the show as a Jackson Family Correspondent because I enjoyed contributing with my segments, so I thank you guys. It was my honor and pleasure, really. I also thank you, Q, for all your efforts and contributions to the MJ cast as a host and so much more, so you're awesome. Jamin, you're amazing as well, so I wish you all the best and loads of fun in moving forward with the podcast, so I look forward to listening to season six. I would also like to wish everyone a wonderful and happy new year. It's going to be interesting to see what 2020 will bring for the Jackson family. Personally, I am excited about Jafar. I was fortunate to recently spend five days in the studio with this incredible talent. 
that's going to be amazing. So be on the lookout for him. I'm also um, excited that Taj Jackson is coming to Amsterdam in January for a special screening of Danny Wu's documentary, Square One. Uh, there will also be a Q&A with Danny, so he's coming too, and other cast members. And it's good that Taj and them are coming to make the statement towards the media and the audience that 2020 will not be another year of ignorance, however, about people starting to learn the truth about Michael Jackson. So I'm involved in this project, and it's... it's um, It's a good thing that this is happening. Uh, last but not least, I say farewell and thank you to all the listeners and followers of the MJ cast. Uh, if you'd like to stay updated about the Jacksons, then make sure to follow Jackson Source on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you guys and uh, wishing you all the best. Take care. Thank you so much, Janneke. We always enjoy your updates on the Jackson family. Now we're going to be presenting our annual bloopers segment. And this I have listened to and I was cry laughing. So I know you guys are too. <laughs> so let's take it away with that. There was a huge market and everyone was soaking up and trying to get everything they could. And that was the window. Pull, pull, that was pull, the window. Stop, stop. Uh, I think you're, you might be becoming a robot again. I love it when that happens. Marcos in Spain, thank you so much for joining us. You have actually seen the Finding Neverland film and you were... The, that's, oh, the sorry, Savannah. sorry. That's right. I do that all you the have, time. <laughs> okay. You've seen the Finding Neverland film and you were one of its first most Cute. outspoken Cute. critics. We'll just do that again. Leaving Neverland. <laughs> Leaving. I actually thought I read it there as well. <laughs> There's the Peter Pan connection, so everyone does it. (laughs) All right. Uh, Marcos, you've actually seen the Finding Neverland film. We have you on because you're one of the first. What? Leaving Neverland. Jamin, you've got it written up the top of the window, Finding Neverland. Yeah, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. Say Uh, Leaving Neverland. Can you fix it, please? I've fixed it. There you go. Leaving Neverland. Okay. (laughs) This is episode 107. Isn't it 108? Oh, 108 even. Let's do that again. Episode <laughs> episode 108. <laughs> I shouldn't be the one to correct this, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Before the next question, Taryl, I've got to let you know, as you're talking, there's like a bit of a scratching noise coming through. And I think it might be the... Yeah, I think it might be the mic on your headphones maybe scratching against... I don't know whether you've got a beard. Okay. Mine does that. I'll just hope I'll just hold it. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Don't get uh, rid of the beard. Hot tip. Just do yeah. not get rid of the beard. That's good. That's uh, good. It might I think it's my shirt though, but okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you think we could get one little promo for you? It's just a thing we just get people to say, hi, I'm Brad Buxer and you're listening to the MJ cast or something like that. And then sure. that's it. That's a wrap. Uh, so if uh, hi I'm Brad Buxer, you're listening to the MJ cast. I'm not good at this. Um, okay, say, give me an example What? of how I Okay, normally people will say, Hi, I'm Brad Buxer, studio engineer and co-writer with Michael Jackson, and you're listening to the MJ cast. Something like that. Okay, you're going to have to piece this together because this is going to be a train wreck. That's what <laughs> I do. <laughs> okay, here we go. Hi, I'm Brad Buxer. You're listening to the MJ studio. M- What is it? The MJ cast. studio cast? MJ cast? Okay. Hi, I'm Brad Buxer. You're listening to the MJ cast. Oh boy, I suck at this. Um, thank you for listening. <laughs> God, I don't. Th- I'm not going to be able to do this. I don't think. Be there. 
Oh, okay. I was just making sure. No, no. I, my, I'm here. I just don't, I don't just know if Charlie is, though. No, I think Charlie took off. He said his phone's going haywire. Well, that's what you get when you drop your phone in a cuppa. Charlie. <laughs> I'm just going to add him back in. <laughs> and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Okay. Hello? Oh, here he is. Charlie. Okay. Hello. Hi, Charlie. Wait, wait, wait. But I have a problem. My headphones won't work. Listen, I don't care how thirsty your phone gets. Don't dunk it in a cup. <laughs> Charlie, are you happy that England's in the uh, cup semis? I could not give less of a shit, Harrison. Really? Sick to death of hearing about the poxy World Cup. <laughs> I've muted the hashtag on Twitter, so none of it comes up in my feed. Jamin. Hugh, do you want to take 14? Oh, Sorry, I skipped through to a little bit later. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. Oh, this cold and flu medicine <clears throat> is doing my head in. <laughs> He's rusty today. <laughs> no, i All right. So next we have some... Or, sorry, let me start over. <clears throat> I love this story because I love this new song. Uh, Jermaine's Jack... So do you know about Square One? What's that? I don't know. <laughs> that is actually I hilarious. I was curious. I, was like, I just think I was like, oh, I don't know exactly what that is. Here we go. That's all good. So, but, that's one of my favorite bloopers ever. Um, so, in, <laughs> um, I'm gonna go we, run into a closet now because I didn't record it on Skype this time. You didn't? I I I so, thought you were recording. I didn't do it. You're an idiot. Don't, you wouldn't do that. You did tests. I did Don't freak tests. me out. That did freak me out for a second. Holy shit. That scared the crap out of me. Charlie and Mike, you can reach him on Twitter. We'll get at the end of the show. We'll talk about where you can reach them. Oh, God. Wait, you don't want me to Jamie, do that? No. To tell him tell all to, to tweet Mike. Tell him to ring him at the office. <laughs> I They've been had, tweeting me enough. I, I've had American I get, Michael Jackson fans ringing me up my office at work. I currently yeah. get 40 DMs a day. Oh, my God. Yeah, fuck that. One woman said today, I've got evidence that Michael Jackson's alive. What do you reckon? <laughs> this is the shit yeah. I get. I keep getting, I've got Jordan Chandler's social security number and all that shit. It's just like, I don't, I don't fucking want it. Don't give it to me. I don't even know. How did you get it? They might have obtained it illegally. I don't want anything to do with it. I just, I don't open anything they send me now just because I don't know what's in it and I'm frightened that it's something that's going to get me in trouble. (laughs) I had, sorry, I had my mic on mute because I'm an idiot. So I'm going to ask you about the inspired thing now, Raj. Yep. Cool. Bloody idiot. Still muting my mic. My God. Five years in. (laughs) I'm sorry. Four students in Jacksonville, Florida, who have been gifted their share of a hundred. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was on mute. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley White just responded to my Charlie graphic and called Charlie Father Charles. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I thought I was muted, Q. I, I'm sorry. I have no idea where I was up to. <laughs> Oh my god. 
so embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. <laughs> so funny. I think that's my favorite segment of the entire year, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's actually up on our YouTube as well, in our YouTube channel, where you can find all the bloopers from previous years and share those around. It's been fun. It has been fun. Uh, one of the things that was such a highlight in recent years was when there was a Janet Jackson podcast because that had been something we'd all been hoping for forever. So when Courtney and Cousin Cam started their Janet Jackson podcast, Janet Today, we were more than thrilled. And uh, here's a final segment from our Janet Jackson correspondence, our favourite cousins, Courtney and Cousin Cam. Hi, this is Cousin Cam from Janet Today, Janet Tomorrow, Janet Forever, the podcast where two cousins discuss all things Janet Jackson. And 2019 was definitely the year of Janet. On March 29th, Janet joined the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a recognition that has been well, well overdue. Janet thanked her fans, her family, and everyone who worked so hard to make sure she was inducted into this elite class of musicians. Janet also during her speech reminded us that there's still more work to be done. And she even said that we have to come together. We have to unite and learn how to love each other. You gotta love Janet. And just when you thought Miss Janet was going to slow down, uh-uh-uh, she announced her Las Vegas residency. Yes, metamorphosis. 18 dates where Janet metamorphed into the performer that we have always known her to be. This residency grossed $13 million. Yes, that's 4,000 tickets were sold each night. The critics love the show. The fans love the show. Everyone came out to see Janet do her thing, and she did not disappoint. We're hoping for another leg of metamorphosis. If not, <laughs> there's always another tour. <laughs> hey, you got to think about it. Also, 2019 marked the 30th anniversary of Rhythm Nation 1814. It's hard to believe this 30 years old. And just taking a look back on this Rhythm Nation, it's just great to see how many people were influenced by this CD. This project inspired so many to pursue their dreams and open everyone's eyes to the injustice and to look around and ask themselves, are they making a change? And as if 2019 wasn't enough, Janet actually found time to tour. She hit stops in Minneapolis. She also finds time to do dates in Hawaii and even hit up festivals like the Gastonbury Festival. Hey, you got to admit, Janet was chasing the bag. Well, that sums everything up. Once again, shout outs to the MJ cast for their love and support. And hey, happy holidays and hope you have a blessed New Year's. This is Cousin Cam from Janet Today, Janet Tomorrow, Janet Forever. Happy New Year! Uh, well, that was great to hear from Courtney and Cam. Really enjoy hearing from them all the time. I love listening to Janet today. And uh, we thank them very much for all their contributions to the MJ cast for the last couple of years and keeping our audience up to date with what Janet's doing. And please, I encourage all of you to go over there and subscribe to their show so you can continue getting updates on Janet. So, Jamin, what have you got 
in store for the future? I don't even really know. More than what you've sort of said on the show already, what are you going to be doing? It's a little bit nebulous for me as well, thinking about what we're going to be moving into. But I, all I know is that, um, you know, we, you and I have always had – part of the reason the MJ Cars works is because you and I have different visions of what the perfect show would be. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but your vision has always been like, uh, you know, episodes that have segment breaks and music and different people coming in and like complex sort of variety type shows. That's like all those ideas I come up with, like Jamin's like, oh God, such a good idea. <laughs> so much extra work. So I love all those work. ideas. Don't get me wrong. I love them all. But my, my yeah, vision for but a it show is, like- so if- much extra work. Sometimes it can be with regular episodes. Yes, it is. But with um, my vision for a show, it's sort of like late night radio, very simple, scaled back, pure conversation without lots of segments. Maybe just me and one other person, maybe a slightly shorter episode, but Michael focused and simple, I guess. And so we've always met in the middle between those two things. But moving forward, I think to properly scale back the show and cut back on the amount of hours it takes to do it, then I think to continue it that my idea would probably work. And so that's probably what the next year is going to feel like. We're not actually going to scrap any of our formats. We'll still have those three different formats that we've always had. We'll still have uh, special episodes with people who knew and worked with Michael. We'll still have roundtable episodes where a group of people come together to talk about a topic. And then our third format, of course, is regular episodes about news and discussion. And we're still going to keep those three formats, but I think the news and discussion ones are the ones that are going to change dramatically the most. So that, like I said, they'll scale back to mostly be probably just me and one other person, a rotating roster of uh, people that you've heard on the show before, whether it's Charlie or Damien or Elise or you, uh, and it'll just be one other person joining me to talk about the latest stuff and it'll be less stuff. Uh, and probably shorter reps. So that's probably what people can expect moving forward and and also less frequent releases. So there certainly won't be an episode every two weeks like we've maintained for five years. There will be probably one episode every three to four weeks moving forward, just to cut back on that a little bit. Which it sort of has worked out later in the year. It's been a lot every two weeks in the last couple of months. Yeah. So you're, you're already used to that. Yeah, yeah, and it, it has made a big difference. I'll be, yeah, Frank, it's been really good. So, yeah, that's probably what people can expect moving forward. Like I said, it's not goodbye. People will definitely hear from you within the next uh, four or so months, <laughs> I'm sure. But we will go on our annual break now. We usually go on a break for a couple of months after December. This is our last episode for uh, 2019, but there will be a uh, mixtape. Um, dropping in between our our seasons of all the great music we've played in season five Uh, and then we will return probably in march ready for season six to begin we didn't even do a break last year that was crazy i know (laughs) you've already got the first episode for the next season too yeah i'm very excited that's one that elise actually set up um we won't reveal who that is yet but elise sourced that person she's actually seen that person speak uh, at a seminar uh, and then they built a, a relationship together and, and uh, Elise was able to secure him for a spot on the MJ cast. And it's a very close collaborator of Michael Jackson in terms of his live work. And uh, I can't wait to uh, reveal that episode for everybody next year. 
excited to hear that one. I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, I haven't heard it either. <laughs> oh, really? really? Yeah, I of haven't course, even seen yeah. him in a seminar or anything, so I'm really in the dark. So I look forward to it. So we have one final correspondent update from our favorite Charles Thompson. This is his final update as a correspondent, but you can be sure that he will appear on the MJ cast regularly going forward because we know that we would all fall apart without him. So take it away, Charlie. (laughs) Hi, this is Charles Thompson. I just wanted to congratulate the MJ cast on five years of great content. Sorry to see Q stepping down, but I understand his reasons and I hope he enjoys his retirement with his cats. Uh, It's been a pleasure to contribute to the show with Jamin and Q at the helm, and I look forward to contributing in the future as Jamin carries the show on. Thanks so much, Charlie, as always, for everything you do for the MJ community and for this final update. Yeah, thank you, Father Charlesmas. That was great. (laughs) Father (laughs) Charlesmas. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Bringing presents of legal updates to all. (laughs) Much, much more. (laughs) (laughs) um okay so we're doing thank yous yeah yeah let's do some thank yous um i might kick things off with just a couple we got a few to get through but i really want to say a special thank you to somebody who we don't mention on the show all that much but is actually believe it or not a very integral person to what we do and the show wouldn't be possible without him friend of the show james la is uh, somebody that makes the show work because his server hosts everything to do with our website on there. So, um, yeah, he, he that's his gift to the community and through the MJ cast is he hosts our website, which wouldn't be couldn't do the show without that. So thank you very much for James for everything you do behind the scenes there. I want to give a special thank you to our correspondents, Charlie, Yannicka, Stephen, Courtney, Cam, Uh, I've loved working with you guys over the past couple of years. Thank you for all your contributions. And I really hope our listener base rally around you guys and follow you on your different networks to, to hear what you're continuing on with from here on out. I would like to give a special shout out also to my friend, Damien Shields. He's sort of like a, you know, he started with us. He's like an unofficial kind of MJ cast member because he actually uh, collaborates with us a lot on our episodes especially our special episodes whenever we're developing questions like q talked about before he's one of our go-to guys that we ask you know what would you ask this person and we get a lot of ideas out of damo so thanks damo for all your behind the scenes help this year with what we do and i also wanted to thank a couple of people who are doing a lot of help uh, assisting me a lot this year in particular Um, as we've mentioned on the show we have an ongoing ebook project and we've had various people involved with that, but we do have two people who are just doing a lot of work at this particular moment, and that would be Lynn and then also Annalise, almost my name twin, who have just really been helping a lot and putting in a major number of hours assisting with this back-end project. So thank you, ladies, so much. It really does mean the world to me. I'm going to send you like tons of swag whenever we're ready to do that, but we do appreciate it a lot. Thank you, ladies, so much. And and for the other people that have helped early on in that project as well. But, yes, a huge undertaking which scares the bejeebus out of me. So well done to the book team. Thank you to all our social media interactors. It's been great fun and encouraging. Thank you so much. And humongous, special, special, special thanks to those that share the episodes on your own 
platforms like whether it be Instagram in your stories or doing a post on Insta and you tag us with the episodes or Facebook when we drop a show and you guys share it with a comment or something so your fan friends can see it or those that do quote tweets and share links to the show. Thank you so, so much. And also as equally as huge thanks to those that actually review the shows, especially on something like um, I know that Apple podcasts have a very easy review function and I'm guessing that other platforms where the podcast is hosted as well, people can also do reviews. But when people do reviews, it helps like something in the algorithm so that when people search for this topic, that it comes up higher in the search and maybe it helps when we drop an episode and people download it, that it then charts and then it's more visible to people. I have no idea about the science behind it, but reviewing the show is really helpful and we really, really appreciate it and are so grateful for those that share the show and review the show but we wouldn't even be a show without listeners so thank you for tuning in to all of you listening to this and that have put up with this 27 hour show for the christmas special that maybe you've uh, listened to in bite-sized chunks and got you right through to the break in uh, when Jamin launches season six in 2020 so maybe that was the way you consumed it and that is perfectly okay but to all of our listeners all over the world, thank you so much because if we didn't have listeners, it wouldn't really be a podcast. It would just be us talking to each other on the phone. <laughs> That's a wrap. It's our holiday special. We have revisited memories from throughout 2019. We have chatted with you, Q, about all your experiences with the MJ cast. Thank you, listeners, for sticking with us for this mega annual episode. <laughs> this has been so much fun. And, um, and I guess we'll catch you in 2020. Please stay in touch with us on social media and uh, we will be back to you early 2020 with the start of season six. And I'll see you on my brand new Eurovision podcast. It's called Curovision. And you can, I'm just joking. <laughs> really? I'm I was joking. like, I thought that was a real deal. You should do that, actually. That'd be I'm cool. Totally joking. Totally joking. You and Bjorn should start that together. We joked about cool. it. We joked about it. But <laughs> we need an editor. Give us an editor. He, he's and an we'll editor. Do it. He's, he's an busy. Editor. He's doing his own Harry Potter podcast. No, so entice him. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'll entice Bjorn, I bet. Um, but where people find us on social media, folks? We are all across social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook under the MJ Cast. You can also email us anytime at the MJCast at iCloud.com. And we welcome you guys to, to be in touch. We love hearing from you and we do our best to respond. And Especially use beautiful, heartfelt messages. <laughs> so um, don't don't lock me out of social media and uh, OneNote yet because we've still got a mixtape episode I need to help put together. So don't change the passwords just yet, guys. <laughs> I can't wait to do that mixtape episode. I've loved the music from this season. Yes, that's uh, good. Season. I'll oh my start gosh, on that. We haven't even not even picked a music for this episode yet. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that soon. We'll get to that soon. Elise, what podcast app do you use? Is it Podcast Republic? 
Yeah. So, okay. so most. I always most get it mixed up. Is it revolution or republic? No. Yeah, okay. it's republic. Yeah. So most of the world, I think, has iPhones. You can listen on Apple Podcasts. But if you are an Android listener, I personally recommend, and they should actually start paying me to get these endorsements. <laughs> yes, they should. Podcast Republic app. <laughs> yeah. We are meant but, to listen through podcast apps. It's the best way to listen and make sure that no music will be cut out as happens when we uh, transfer our episodes to YouTube. So try to listen via a podcast app if you can. And also like who's really watching YouTube as they're driving their car to work? Damien. Like that's probably a little don't. That's a bit dangerous. So stop no, he doing doesn't, that. He has like the, what do you call it? Like the premium, which means you can turn your screen off, but still listen to stuff on YouTube. But you have to pay for that. Who wants to pay for yeah. YouTube? Come on. You know what? Because you can just listen to us for free on a podcast app. And that yeah. includes Spotify, Google Podcasts. Um, there's probably others, but especially for Android, just search in your respective app stores like Google Play or the Apple App Store if you want. But Apple Podcasts is probably the biggest if you have an Apple device, like we said. But yeah, search for the MJ Cast. Or even just search for Michael Jackson Podcast and we have at this stage a bright orange logo, which I love so much still. And then that's us. Hit subscribe and then automatically your device will pull new episodes when they drop and they'll download and you can listen to us with your phone like the screen is off. You can do that while you're driving or commuting or doing housework or at the gym or like I did yesterday grocery shopping and block all of the crazy Christmas shopping out around you and just concentrate on a podcast. And uh, yes, your life will improve dramatically guaranteed. <laughs> all right. Well, that is a wrap folks. Thank you everybody for tuning in and listening to our season five Christmas special of the MJ cast. It's break time. Uh, we're going on leave. See us later. Enjoy holidays. Be safe. Travel safely wherever you're going and enjoy that holiday spirit with your families uh, all over the world. We love you very much from Studio Brisbane. Have a great Christmas break and keep Michaeling. And from Studio San Diego, stay bad. Thank you, everyone. This is Q for the last time signing off for a while. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you for your friendship and support. And Michael on. Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is Michael Jackson of the Jackson 5 wishing a happy holiday to all Motown fans. The MJ Cast.